Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. people said, you know, this is really being overblown. They're following all the safety precautions. People are going to sporting events that are bigger than this. This is going to be safe. This is a sophisticated vaccinated crowd. And and this is just about optics. It's not about safety. All right. Annie Carney, thanks so much. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, good talking to you. Well, it's a big sigh of relief, both for Democrats in New York and for Democrats nationally. Cuomo, a national brand name, he had the ability to drag this out. It could have sullied Democrats up and down the ballot, could have cost him a couple of uh, House seats, which could cost him control of Congress. Uh, but now that's not there. And now the Democrats have the rest of this calendar year to regroup. So while he's not been an asset to the Democratic Party for a year, on this move, he actually helped the party and put the party before himself. His career was either permanently over or almost permanently over, and he chose the path of almost permanently over, right? The resignation gives him, you know, we know the way our world works. Um, it's amazing the people we've seen make political comebacks. Uh, you know, you can't ever rule it out. He, he eventually did something that was, that, that maybe over time, will at least give him an opening to, oh, maybe, you know, not be a full pariah in the party, say, in, in, in three years, four years, five years. I'm not saying this is about the next, you know, year or two. Um, but think about what Andrew Cuomo's done his whole life. He's been basically a professional politician his whole life, either working on campaigns for his father, working in the administration, in Clinton administration, or running for office himself. This is all he's known. What would he do without the ability to run for office? So, look, I expect in my lifetime, Andrew Cuomo to probably run for office again. What that office is, I don't know, but that's what this resignation.
Dr. Fauci, do you agree with Randy Weingarten, the head of the largest teachers union in the country, who came out yesterday and said, yes, teachers should be vaccinated inside schools? Do you think they should be mandated to be vaccinated? Yeah, I'm going to upset some people on this, but I think we should. I mean, we are in a critical situation now. We've had 615,000 plus deaths, and we are in a major surge now as we're going into the fall, into the school season. This is very serious business. You would wish that people would see why it's so important to get vaccinated. But you're not going to get mandates centrally from the federal government. But when you're talking about local mandates, mandates for schools, for teachers, for universities, for colleges, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I know people must like to have their individual freedom and not be told to do something. But I think we're in such a serious situation now that under certain circumstances, mandates should be done. One sec. Democracy's calling. <laughs> See you, Daddy. Bye. Hi, my name is Cooper, and this is a day in my life as a White House intern. <laughs> We did a joke. <laughs> hey everyone. Oh. Usually I start off with a big coffee. Sorry, they're like really strict in here. Hey Jenny, I booked you a nail appointment, love. Yeah, I didn't tell you to do that. It's called initiative. <laughs> Hi, White House, this is Cooper. Mm, I don't think so. Oh, doesn't matter. This is actually the entrance to the West Wing. This is so fun and it's really prestigious. Hey POTUS. Is Olivia Rodrigo still here? No. We've come a long way in our fight against this virus. We've vaccinated 160 million Americans. Are you getting this all down? Don't worry, Queen. It's all right here. Cooper. Sorry, Miss Jen. And Jen, don't forget to have fun. Spirit fingers, mama. We need to get shots in the arms of every single American. I'm heading to a haircut. Comment if you want me to make more of these. It's great to meet you, Dr. Fauci. I had a couple questions about the vaccine. We don't know the long-term negative health effects of the COVID shots. A lot of rumors about, you know, phones sticking to arms. Can you help me weigh the pros and cons of getting vaccinated? That's a great question, Jacob, that a lot of people ask. And a lot of the things that you're referring to are just ridiculous myths. You know, do I become... Uh, magnetic? Do you put a chip in me so I could follow you around? <laughs> that kind of stuff. They gotta, you got to use your TikTok medium to debunk that nonsense. The benefit of the vaccine overwhelmingly outstrips any of the theoretical risks of something bad happening to you. But if they occur, they're spectacularly rare. Well, thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you. Take care of yourself. Shall I relax? Okay. Three yesterday. Here's the 1 0. And again, it's 2 0. And this is not to pick on, on Ben. Hits today. Three yesterday. Here's the 1 0. And again, it's 2 0. And this is not to pick on, on Hits today. Three yesterday. Here's the 1 0. And again, it's 2 0. And this is not to pick on. And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It is the 12th of August, year of our Lord, 2021. Let there be light. My sister sent me a ring light. This thing's pretty high speed. I got the camera on it and everything. It's pretty nice. But anywho, welcome back to the show. We're going today because I seriously have no idea what my schedule is. Uh, it looks like I'm still not doing anything until next week. But just to make sure with the... Uh, Abdominal scan tomorrow and junking on Saturday. I just figured, well, I'm going to do the show today and then hopefully get another one off Monday, which would be the, 
what, the, 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 the 16th? Um, before I go back to work on Wednesday, I think. I think that's what's going on, but I, I don't know. Um, so I figured we'd just get on in it. We got a good show today. A lot of hypocrisy. A lot of stupidity. Yeah. And that intro's perfect. Um, I want you to notice that the uh, President of the United States was massless coming back from vacation. We have sophisticated vaccines. We'll cover that. That's good stuff. I mean, that, that just translates to Democrats are sophisticated. You people are losers. Chuck Todd, uh, once again, just loving him some Cuomo. Cuomo getting confronted and talking about police because he remember he's fucking Frito. But I heard a joke the other day. He shouldn't be near boats. Just saying. They decided because NASCAR didn't work, we're going to work with the uh, LGTB influencers i don't know what that shit is but that makes me want to go to the doctor and say take my vaccine out of my body that that's just disgusting and what we'll start the show with are forever wokeness i mean we are just woke people um drunk fan says dinger but look what the media did because we've been doing this Ever since it was election time. And, you know, I, I sat today again in the line for an hour to get medication because now it was finally done. And once again, we had uh, two African-Americans, Latinx, and a Jewish dude and me talking. And they all said, in fact, the African-American lady that you wouldn't think would say this. If we're going by, everybody goes by assumptions now of what people are, by how they look, because that's our new world set up by the Democrats. Um, she said every time they have a problem or want to push through some new bill, they come out with stupid shit. African-American lady. She's even seeing that every time they want to build back better and it's not working, we go COVID or we go something. So she brought this subject up about everything is racist. And I, I just got to go through it because it's just classic. I mean, instantly, they thought he said the N-word. Everybody. CNN, Washington Post. Oh, this is just fucking racial slur. Uh, I think the story, uh, that's a bad one. That kind of sucks. Yeah. I think the story correction from AP is illustrated of the point here. For the first tweet, you have certainly a fan did this racist thing, but then as soon as the narrative went bunk, you get words like suspected. It's suspected. A lot of updates look similar. USA Today, Rocky say fan was yelling at mascot, but shouting racial slur, not shouting. AP, fan, uh, th this one's my favorite here, but MSC News, fan caught on mic apparently shouting racial slurs. The ugly incident unfolded the ninth inning. Da-da-da-da-da. Apparently, because we don't want to give it up. America's racist. Got to keep it up. Bleacher Report, Sports Center, Bro Bible. This is literally a sports columnist for USA Today. Put him in jail without the right to ever attend a sporting event, let, let alone anything else. They are the fascist. We, we say it, 
People don't believe it. They are the fascists. And the coverage even made it international. The Independent, Herald, even the New York Post felt they had to do it. All right? And somehow I don't have that. There it is. That's the one I'm looking for. Then we actually get the response statement from the Colorado. The Colorado is disgusted. Racial slur. Argument of zero tolerance. He's a piece of shit. But even their self-legating and inaccurate apology wasn't enough for many on Twitter. Here's just a brief snapshot. Journalists and other blue checks. Roland Martin, Troy Westwood. It's not good enough. It always pays to follow Estrode CD. Um, rule, when something outlandish happens, don't rage tweet about it for 24 hours. No, they're not going to do it. Phil Lewis, Huffington Post, helped get the outrage going and since deleted tweet. Some fan was screaming N-word as loud as he could in Miami Marlins player Lewis Brinson on Coors Field. Oberman! You know he's going to get it. Uh, he just went crazy. Listen, I'm a Red Fox f- fan. I won't pretend there aren't racist incidents in MLB or other sports so that they aren't heinous when they happen, but it's a quick way to turn people off to problem is to play the boy who cried wolf. A lot of folks across the media did that here. An earnest desire for change sometimes has a funny way of turning shadows into monsters. I hope folks will take this as a reminder to slow down, find out this isn't Russiagate. He's spot on. He's spot on. You just, you believe it's true, so it's so. And I played the soundbite. He was drunk. These people. Bob Nightingale. The Rockies complete their investigation and find that no slur was used. I sincerely apologize for jumping to the wrong conclusion after the video. Unfortunately, after personally seeing the racism, family, friends endure every damn day. It was too easy to believe it could happen. This tweet could have ended after the word video, but you just couldn't do it without making a statement because it's virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. It's all virtue. Virtuous. We must be virtuous. That's what we do. We, we, we're virtuous people. It, no better way than to show I'm not racist, but then to jumping up on stuff. And as we're doing all this, this, we're going to do print at home for a recall. There's, that, that's not going to be fucked up. There won't be any, you know, fraud. But the left, you know, they're all for it. Other things. According to White House Press Secretary Jim Psaki, the most important thing about speaking on Biden's behalf is getting the tone right. Somebody's response. If the tone is to be snarky and evasive, she's succeeding. Psaki recalls the Obama people. They're my friends, and they are some of the absolutely the most talented and best people I worked with in politics, but the culture was to yell at reporters, slam the phone down. That's never going to be comfortable to me. Instead, she developed a more personal report, charming interlockers, little jokes, and being a fucking grade-A bitch. So shut up. Other stuff from last podcast. I kind of lumped a bunch of stuff up front. I've noticed the Joe Biden eviction moratorium has been met with chorus of boos from us, rule of law folks. But I can't go along with that choir. I stand with Cory Bush. If you take SCOTUS L, you take an L. But you try to, to the last stop of suffering. Presidential civil disobedience. Now that's a wow 
Jesus, Ellie, seriously? Yeah, of course. Of course. He's a good person. Remember, we hear that a lot. He's a good dude. Makes his evil and shitting on the Constitution okay. Trump was a bad dude. Even though he didn't shit on the Constitution because he never got to do anything. Yeah. AOC now claims... I didn't think I was. I didn't think I was just going to be killed. I was going to be raped. I didn't think that I was just going to be killed. A case of Cortez told CNN anchor Dana Bash. I thought other things were going to happen to me as well. The New York Democrats said that white supremacy and patriarchy are very linked in a lot of ways. I remarked on what she sees as the sexualization of that violence. When asked by Bush to clarify, she was worried about what happened. Be raped during the storm of the Capitol. Yeah, yeah. And then people say the obvious. You weren't even in the building. You weren't in the same building. You weren't even close. But it didn't stop the media. Jason, thanks so much for coming on. So there's a clearly a significance here. What is it? What, what, what should we take from this? Thank you so much for having me on, Tucker. You continue to do amazing, important work, and it's an honor to be on your show. Uh, Tucker, I do think this is a moment that we need to analyze. And, and I analogized it in a column I wrote today for The Blaze and, and talked about on my podcast to the California gold rush of the 1840s and 1850s. Their racism is now the new gold. And people mine for racism gold the same way they mine for gold in the 1840s and 1850s. And, and then we have to understand that the miners in this desperate rush to get rich and uh, take Patrice Cullors, the founder of Black Lives Matter, she plays the racial game with Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, any other dead man that she thinks has been unjustly killed resisting arrest, and she's now bought four homes across America. Ben Crump, the lawyer, has made millions of dollars negotiating settlements for uh, the families of criminals who, who resisted arrest. These guys are mining for that racial uh, racism gold that's out there, and they're being rewarded for it. But the people that are really benefiting are actually the people that are exploiting the miners. And I believe that's social media. I believe that's Twitter. I believe that's Facebook. These platforms promote traffic and, and push the values uh, of people that love to play the racial game, love to do racial division. They're feasting off this racial division that they're promoting over Facebook and Twitter. And it's no different than the gold rush. The miners made a temporary fortune. The people who exploited the miners <laughs> made millions and billions of dollars. And that's what's going on today. They've set up this game where everybody rushes out on a desperate hunt to find this racism gold. And it's, it's, it's not really scarce, but it's just hard to find. And it's hard to, it's costly to produce and point to it and say it, and it contributes to systemic racism because that's been changed by laws and rules. But this racism has a goal through social media that's making people wealthy and they're exploiting the rest of us. And I'm trying to help people understand we're the victims of this. Those of us with traditional American values, those of us who believe in God, those of us who believe in the founding documents of this country,
We, because when the 49ers came in in the 1800s in California, they ran off the indigenous people. The indigenous people, Native Americans, were slaughtered. They were massacred. Their hunting grounds and all, they starved to death. That's what's happening to us. We're allowing Jack Dorsey, Mark Zuckerberg, and the people in Northern California to destroy us and run this country away from us, and we need to put a stop to it, Tucker. You're the first person I knew to really take social media, not their bias against conservatives, but just the actual platforms, the medium of expression, very seriously and recognize that they're a threat. What, why isn't, and I agree with you, I have come to agree with you, why do people not recognize this? Because corporate media will not connect the dots, will not explain what is transpiring. And it's just, we are being misled by corporate media. They're all in this together. Yes. The elites and the protectors of the elites. And that's why I love your show and what you're doing. You are a voice, and I, you come from... A, wealth or whatever, but you are the voice for the working class. I'm trying to be right in there with you to try to explain to people in America, those of us with working class values, whether we have wealth or not, those of us, we have to come together and take our country back. These values that are being imposed on the rest of us, they're stripping of us of our freedoms. They're stripping us of the values that made this country great. Yeah. We can't sit on the sidelines. We have to recognize what Northern California is doing. We need to understand the history of Northern California and why they're imposing these values on the rest of the country. Once we understand, we got to know who we're fighting against and we're being misled. We're fighting against each other when we have a common enemy of elites and the tech billionaires that are like the gold millionaires of the past. They're in control. These instant millionaires that don't really care about this country are in control of this country. And it's our country and we need to take it back. And we can only do it when we come together. We have to come together. You're making my heart beat. I, I agree with every word that you said. I didn't used to, but it's proved to be true. And you were right all along. Jason Whitlock, excellent to see you tonight. Thank you. I think one of the reasons why that impact was so doubled that day is because of, how, of the misogyny and the racism that is so deeply rooted and animated um, that attack on the Capitol. You know, white supremacy and patriarchy are very linked in a lot of ways. There's a lot of sexualizing of that violence. And um, I didn't think that I was just going to be killed. I thought other things were going to happen to me as well. So what sounds like what you're telling me right now is that you didn't only think that you were going to die, you thought you were gonna be raped. Yeah, yeah, I thought I was. Well, uh, Dan is joining us uh, right now, January. Six was clearly a traumatic day for Representative Ocasio-Cortez, so many others. What else did she tell you about the attack that day? Well, first context for what she just said, and it's the following. She told me about so many threats that she had gotten, really, when she was first elected, but even more so leading up to January 6th. So that was in the back of her mind on that day. She was fearful already. Secondly, she talked more about the fact that she's a survivor of sexual assault. 
So that's another reason why that was going through her mind because of the trauma that she still has uh, from what happened to her. She told me it was in her early 20s. So all of those things combined uh, led her to be extremely fearful on January 6th. And it's just a reminder, again, all of these these people who we cover, they are human beings and never more so uh, than when they were so vulnerable on that day. What else can we expect to hear from her tonight, Dana? Well, you know, she was elected in a very, very surprise way in the primary contest. You remember uh, a little more than three years ago, she beat Joe Crowley, who was a member of the Democratic leadership, always talked about to be a speaker of the House, maybe even a successor to Nancy Pelosi. And she talked about what it was like when she came to Washington and especially when she was dealing with her fellow Democrats and how chilly the reception was. I saw that you said once that I think a lot of people, including my Democratic colleagues, believe the Fox News version of me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was my first term was very painful. Um, it was very, very painful. And, um, you know, I came in and I unseated an incumbent that while may not have been very resonant in our community, was very popular inside those, you know, smoke-filled rooms. And so I took away a friend and I walked in into a very cold environment, even within my own party. What's it like to be one of the most famous politicians in America? Hey, what's up? Love you back. <laughs> to be adored and reviled with seemingly equal passion. A strange existence for anyone, let alone a woman who, at age 28, catapulted from no-name New York City bartender to well-known member of Congress, featured on glossy magazine covers practically overnight. It's all part of being AOC. The 31-year-old is outspoken, uncompromising, and not just navigating the political world, but trying to change it. You have 12 million Twitter followers, <laughs> 9 million Instagram followers, and they all know you by three letters, AOC. So what's it like to be AOC? At your age, a lot of women, and I will put myself in this category when I was your age, I was trying to fit into the world as it is, not trying to change it. Where do you get that confidence? Even her friendships are famous. The so-called squad, House members Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, and Ilhan Omar, not just political allies, she says, but real friends. I was able to find kinship and friendship and sisterhood. When she's challenging fellow Democrats to embrace more progressive policies, breaking glass, she calls it, to get attention for an issue. Being Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez means being a celebrity and looking like one, red lips and all. She was featured on the cover of Vanity Fair in 2020 and even shot this tutorial for Vogue on her beauty routine. You sometimes take heat for your celebrity status, for uh, being glamorous. You embrace the power. Yeah. Yeah. How do you use that power, the power of femininity as you describe it? One of the questions that everybody, especially here in New York and definitely in Washington, want to know the answer to. Are you going to challenge Senator Schumer <laughs> in a primary race? I know you're not in, you're talking about your future ambition, but there was a, po there a lot of post-its. I know. So I forgot to play a soundbite. That was Jason Whitlock, who you, you all know I love that guy. 
Uh, not because he's conservative. I think I'd like him even if he, was, if, if he wasn't conservative. The guy just is really measured in what he says. And when he says it, it, it hits home all the time. It just does. But you saw the interview, how they swooned over. I mean, they just love this gal. And let's be honest, what has she accomplished? Has she ever accomplished anything? No. No, she hasn't. But it doesn't matter. It's the Fox fallacy. Fox News fallacy from last podcast. If conservative hates somebody, they double down and make them the best thing ever. And since we were talking about moratoriums, here's CNN uh, doing a whole thing of, it was just a lie. It doesn't have the legal authority to extend the expired federal eviction moratorium on its own and is now, quote, challenging every landlord to hold off on evictions for the next 30 days. It comes as America is at risk of a full-blown crisis as millions of Americans fear losing their homes and Congress is pointing fingers over who's to blame. Nick Watt is out front. This is the letter. Oh, I owe 1900 That letter is a 24-hour eviction notice. And you guys honestly freak me out when you knocked this morning. I'm not going to lie because I'm really thinking they're coming at any moment. To throw Daisha Kelly, who goes by Kelly, and her little girls, Sharon, Kia, and Imani, onto the street. Talking about it doesn't help. Um, sorry. No, Kelly, listen, we're sorry to... Yeah. You know what's happening but when you start talking about it? Yeah. It's like it's bringing all of my emotions right I'm sorry. Kelly was a casino dealer here in Las Vegas. Loved it. I'm automatically, come on, please win. I'm rooting for you. Like, as soon as they bust, I'm upset too. I win. She lost her jobs, now has no car, and no money for childcare. It's this tiny virus that has come along and just... Taken everything. I just had to donate a few days ago. Kelly is now donating blood plasma, 100 bucks a time to buy groceries. So you are managing to eat okay? Yeah, or... Exactly. Oh, yeah. They're, well, they're eating okay. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I'm like, there's days I don't even want to roll out the, the bed. Roll out the floor. <laughs> you get what I mean. Kelly's pawned or sold nearly everything she had. I had a bed right here. There was a TV right here on top of this stand, so I had to pawn that. She thought about working online, but... You lost your laptop as well? Oh, I had to pawn that trying to keep up with the bills. So. Okay. This is the girls' room. They used to have their bed right here, and they used to have a little chester. Not anymore. I'll sacrifice my couch. As you can see, it's a little beat up now, just so they don't have to lay on the floor because they're so tiny. One, two. More than 11 million Americans are reportedly behind on their rent. Congress. It was a fabricated story. That was the babysitter. She got 230K. Mom of three got over 200K in donations for rent. Admit she was just the babysitter. Nick Watt interviewed Dana Dasha Kelly last week to discuss recent lapse in eviction. Mom braced for eviction, as Watt said, the Kelly and three children, and blah, blah, blah. According to CNN, Kelly is a girlfriend of the children's father, and they're returning to live, blah, blah, blah. Disclaimer was also at an online version of the interview as well. A CNN aired story about potential eviction. Dasha Kelly clarified to CNN that she is not the mother. And TBD Daily broke the story. It's fraud. But they just buried it. They buried it. Because they 
bury everything. That's that's what they do. They just bury shit. They report fake shit. Since we've been doing this, remember, they have had a person that literally... I'm trying to find the story and I can't find it. Um, literally was fired as a psychologist doing Trump stuff on air. They have numerous time, just numerous times gone with people that aren't even nurses talking about emergency rooms overburdened and all that shit. CNN's not a news agency. They're a propaganda network. I'm not saying Fox is a news agency. From about the 5 till midnight, it is a conservative talking point factory. But CNN from New Day to motherfucking Don Lemon is the official network of the Democratic National Committee. And here's Dick Face, Frito, who shouldn't have been near the lake once again. Here he is getting confronted by a Fox guy. He, well, we're going to do Cuomo in a second. He, he's still I know I played it in the intro, but I wanted to play it again because, once again, these are the people that spend all day telling you you're garbage. You're the worst. You're, you're just horrible fucking people. And I don't know what I did with all the, oh, I got it in the next block. The next block I'll cover. The ratings are showing it, but they just don't seem to care. So I'm going to go out of order really quick because I meant to do... I didn't do any screens for it, so let's go back to the front page. Um, this Cuomo stuff. If you thought Chuck Todd saying he's going to run for office is bad, listen to this shit. Sure, it's easy now. It's easy for the media to denounce Andrew Cuomo, to decry the sexual harassment findings, to insist, like the New York Times and Washington Post, that the governor must go. And yet, remember, this is the guy who the pundits lionized last year as a pandemic superstar. You see a spectacular political leader emerging from this in Andrew Cuomo. Governor Cuomo, yeah. I think, is, is, is one of the heroes on, on the front lines. 
But when the first Cuomo accuser came forward in February, there was nothing on the network evening newscast, nothing initially on MSNBC, a brief mention on CNN, a few sentences on the Today Show. Here's how I put it at the time on this program. But the first instinct of the network newscast, CNN, MSNBC, was to do as little as possible and sometimes nothing about the Democratic governor. They were kind of acting like political operatives. Maybe this will blow over. We won't have to deal with it. But they had to deal with it as enterprising reporters found more accusers and the state attorney general launched an investigation. But that's the thing. When you ignore or minimize a credible allegation against a popular politician, you run the risk of having to play catch up later when the scandal mushrooms and it's too big to ignore. That was the moment of truth. Not now, when everyone is revolted by chilling evidence that Cuomo... David, we're sitting by for Governor Cuomo's press conference's daily briefing. How would you contrast Cuomo and President Trump's handling of the crisis? Truth versus mendacity. Governor Cuomo um, out there day after day after day, everything Trump isn't. Honest, direct, brave. Real leadership of the kind the President of the United States should have provided. Governor Cuomo is clearly living in a totally different reality, the actual one than the president of the United States. Governor Cuomo has become a national leader. For a lot of people, Andrew Cuomo has become the leader of the Democratic Party. He is conveying incredible strength. You spoke to National Guard troops today in a stirring speech that, if I wasn't listening carefully, I thought you would sending soldiers off to war. This has been a remarkable show of leadership by Governor Cuomo in recent days. He's providing hope but not false hope. Governor Cuomo, no. I think, is, is, is one of the heroes on, on the front lines. With all of this adulation that you're getting for doing your job, are you thinking about running for president? Andrew Cuomo, who has a daily television show now uh, and has become, in some ways, the shadow uh, president. Maybe Trump is just a little bit mad that Governor Cuomo has become a kind of acting president. Dealing with hardship actually makes you stronger. That's what Governor Cuomo said earlier today. That's what I'm in some ways, in a small way, your network is involved in this story because, of course, the governor's brother, Chris Cuomo, has his show, The Cuomo Zone, on... Uh, is that what it's, it's called? I don't remember what it's called, but The Cuomo, Cuomo Zone. Cuomo Prime Time. Cuomo Prime, three, 360 Cuomos. And, <laughs> and he, The New York Times, has just reported, a, a report just dropped because it had been alleged that he was helping his brother with his, you know, his communications team. New York Times is reporting that that's true. Chris was helping his brother. What's, how does that create any conflict? Conflict over at CNN behind closed doors. Are people mad at him, or is he is he in trouble? Some people are mad at him. By the way, I can confirm the New York Times report. I'll I'll confirm it for your viewers. I also have a source that says Chris was on the phone with his brother this week. Is your source Chris him. Cuomo? He is not. He is not. You gotta have boundaries. You gotta draw a line. Why he doesn't? Uh, I think he does actually. Really? I think Chris does. I don't know about the governor. What are the boundaries? I think Chris does. What are the boundaries? The boundary that, that CNN management presented to him in May when, when they admitted he screwed up. They said, yeah. you know, what you did was inappropriate. You were on the phone with your brother's aides advising them on what to do, and that was inappropriate. But they said, of course you're going to talk to your brother. You know, there's nothing more important than But he than didn't talk question. about his brother once the trouble started. He That's said, right. I'm not going to talk about my brother. And that was also a management ruling. And so the but way I. Why didn't I they rule this, that way when his brother was on the show pretty much every night? Uh, during the yeah, COVID crisis, I think it's really that seems like an odd uh, conflict of rules. It is an odd conflict, but I don't think uh, if we open up the journalism ethics book, there's no page for this. It's the, the craziest set of circumstances you can imagine, right? A governor and a brother, both in these high-profile jobs. 
this was definitely awkward for CNN, though. Sure. I, I tried to go into this thinking, okay, if I was going to cover this at CBS, how would I cover it? And try to cover it the same way. And I talked to a lot of sources at CNN. Some said, yeah, this is really weird. I'm ticked off at Chris. Others said, you know, I understand. You can't pick who your family members are. So there was a wide range of opinions. And, and overall, I think what was most important is that we covered the story on air. Ed, quickly before we let you go, when you look at the, at the governor's legacy now, and it is tied to this, it is also the things that he did, how will people remember his time in office? Well, I mean, there were a lot of things. He did. Obviously, the pandemic. You talk to people in Albany or across the state, they say he, he did a masterful job of keeping the state safe and dealing with the situation and serving as a tonic to many people uh, compared to the federal response, especially in those early weeks and months. And, and they credit him with, you know, a lot of major infrastructure projects across the state. They're rebuilding LaGuardia Airport. They've rebuilt other parts of the state as well. And he tried to buck up the economy. But you take his behavior in this situation, his alleged behavior, plus a host of scandals over the last several years, and they said it was time to hold him. So one rather important lesson from today's shot resignation from Andrew Cuomo is the fact that the Democratic Party is still willing to take action against alleged offenders in its midst. Unlike, wait for it, the other great political party in this country. I mean, Republicans have been all over the Andrew Cuomo story. But have they looked in the mirror recently? Just take former Missouri Republican Governor Eric Greitens, who resigned in 2018 amidst an ethics probe, two criminal charges, reports he had an affair, and allegations of blackmail. He's now running again. It's time for the Senate, and is the likely front-runner to replace retiring GOP Senator Roy Blunt. There's Republican Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio, who's faced multiple allegations that he turned a blind eye to sexual abuse by the Ohio State wrestling team physician while Jordan was the assistant coach. And yet Republicans continue to stand by him, even choosing him to be their ranking member on the House Judiciary Committee. We have even seen this on the Supreme Court. Clarence Thomas was confirmed despite Anita Hill's accusation of sexual harassment. So was Brett Kavanaugh more recently after Christine Blasey Ford's accusation of sexual assault. Not a single Republican voted no on Kavanaugh's confirmation. Congressman Matt Gates of Florida is currently currently under investigation by the Department of Justice over whether he had a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old girl and paid for her to travel with him. Only one of his Republican colleagues, Congressman Adam Kinzinger, has called on him to resign, and Gates remains in office and on his committees. And then, of course, of course, just look at the former president who led an insurrection, was impeached twice, and has been accused of sexual misconduct by more than two dozen women. Republicans as a whole have never tried to hold him accountable for any of that. He remains the de facto leader of the party and their likely presidential candidate in 2024. Now, Donald Trump and all these other Republican men have denied everything and refused to acknowledge the validity of any of the allegations against them. They deny, 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 and continue to have a future in their party. So yes, today is a sad day for the Democratic Party. One of their stars, a man they were considering as a presidential candidate just a year ago, resigned in disgrace. But you could say it's a sadder day for American democracy because it's a reminder that there are only consequences. There is only accountability for Democrats in our... Now to unpack that, we have basically Fox covering what the media did, you have a tape by Glenn Greenwald of how much they loved him. Even Colbert's bashing him. Oh, it's horrible from CBS. Hassan literally trying to equate
the same thing we've been hearing over and over and over and over and over and over that somehow, some way, the, the Dems are better than the GMP, GOP is. That, that's what you're saying. And, and I, I just want to say, no, 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 no. That's not true. I mean, l- let's just think about recent stuff. I remember just a short time ago that a guy was booted for being linked to a white supremacist group. Do we remember that? I remember that. I remember Trent Lott. I remember every conservative that's embroiled in anything getting the fucking boot. Greenwald, few things are more repulsive in liberal discourse right now than the saga Cuomo. They're all lamenting that everything they claim Trump was, that that he's everything they claim Trump was, is that they just found out. They always knew it, yet they all supported and championed this dynastic hair for decades. New York Times uh, endorses Andrew Cuomo for governor, all their love. Like his brother, Chris Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo has a career for one reason, his dad. He's always been an authoritarian, bully, sleazy scumbag. That kind that comes from a long line of entitlement. Yet Clinton put him in his cabinet and Dems cheered it. Democrats did not discover a single thing about Andrew Cuomo they haven't always known. As many pointed out in reply, the Andrew Cuomo dynamic is extremely similar to Harvey Weinstein, powerful Dems knew for years, and they did nothing about it. How did the liberal sector of the corporate media talk about Cuomo? I played it. They enabled him. They loved him. They just loved him. Time's Up founder resigns because she was part of the smear campaign. Washington Post, Chris Cuomo is still helping his brother. Chris Cuomo comes under criticism after a new report says brother continues to confer with him. He admits it. Chris Cuomo still, CNN, Chris Cuomo apologized, put my colleagues here, blah, blah, fires encourage Cuomo to resign, blah, blah, blah. Chris Cuomo's still telling him what to say. There's articles everywhere. She's undefeated. Jennifer Rubo. The, Jennifer Rubin, the only conservative on the Washington Post staff, supposedly. The first New York woman governor ever. But they're still trying to spin it. Charles C.W. Cook is clearly enjoying this retrospective. That's all from the Love Gov. That's what they called him. Eric Wimple blasts CNN Seltzer for whitewashing Cuomo controversy. Has he applied same logic to Fox? There's nothing at all complicated about the story. CNN flouted journalistic ethics in the spring of 2020 when allowed Chris Cuomo to host his brother and dozen time in flattering jab fests. And then when the governor COVID-19 and sexual harassment scandals piled up, the network somehow tracked down its internal guidelines and banned and then didn't cover. Tucker, sort of defends CNN, Chris Cuomo. I, I'm going to play this because we have a lot of Tucker bashing. I mean, just a shitload lately. Let's see if I can get it. Why? So Andrew Cuomo is a weirdo. He's a butt rubber, terrible governor, actually. Um, but tonight we want to pause from piling on Andrew Cuomo, which will 
be happy to resume tomorrow. And take a moment to defend the chief bodybuilding correspondent over at CNN, who is his brother. We're not going to show any pictures of Chris Cuomo flexing on camera. We've done that before. We're just going to note that in the middle of this scandal that may remove his brother from office, Chris Cuomo decided he's going to go on vacation. Now, we know what you're thinking. Could this really be a vacation? But CNN broke into its extended coverage of Sturgis to answer that question. Yes, it's a real vacation. Here's their position on his vacation. Telling a well-off host to hang out by the pool for a couple of weeks is not a real punishment. It's BS when Fox sends a host off on vacation during a scandal. Scolding a host in public, saying what they did was inappropriate, that is an actual punishment. Chris is going to have a surreal birthday on Monday. He always takes his birth week off. He always takes it off work. But this year, he's going to be absent while his brother is fighting for his political life, uh, trying to stop this impeachment train. And bad faith actors are going to say Chris has been canceled or something when they don't see him on air on Monday. Don't believe it. I checked with sources on his staff, and they confirmed that he booked this time off months ago. Can that kid be real? He's got to be a plant from MSNBC. There's no chance that he's actually acting on behalf of CNN. He's too discrediting. But anyway, we're just playing you the tape, and you can evaluate it for yourself. So this is CNN's position. When one of our anchors takes a vacation, it's totally real. But if you work at Fox News, all vacations are Potemkin vacations. That was Don Lamont's position when we went fishing a couple of years ago. Tucker Carlson is on vacation as of tonight, due back on the 19th. Fox News has a long history of their hosts heading out on vacation after they become engulfed in controversy over inflammatory comments. Oh, yes, Don Lamont. The plane probably flew into a black hole. Yeah, for sure. To paraphrase Sigmund Freud, sometimes a vacation is just a vacation, and we're willing to believe that Chris Cuomo's vacation is just a vacation. Two other quick things about Chris Cuomo in total sincerity. One, you're not responsible for the misbehavior of your relatives. Sorry, you didn't choose them. In fact, you're not responsible for anyone else's misbehavior, only your own. That's just true. It's the basis of American justice and it's the basis of human decency. Don't blame people for things they didn't do. So, um, that, that was actually um, Mediate with a Chinese commercial. Mm-hmm. You know I'm upset about that, right? We know that our media is giving them money. Do you know they own so much of America? You know how bad this all is? We talked about Russia, Russia, Russia. NSA is also going to be investigating the Tucker shit. Finally, the IG is looking into it. Good to go. At going Cuomo uh, swears he had no idea that he crossed any lines. There's another take. I'm not playing it. Matthew Dowd concedes finally. What, ha what Governor Cuomo did was awful and resigning was appropriate, but what governors about Texas and DeSantis of Florida have done are doing is far worse harming democracy, worsening a public health crisis, stirring up hatred of others. Both should immediately resign. That that's their take. You see, they're, they're not... They're, they're not at all ever going to say outright that he's a scumbag, that what he did was horrible. Mm -mm. They're not going to do it. Why would they? And then you get the Atlantic. Democrats hold their leaders to higher standards than Republicans. When they abandoned the New York governor, he had no choice but to quit. 
and everybody in the world, and I didn't get the picture because I didn't want to cover this that much, shows a picture of Ted Kennedy's car. He left somebody to fucking die. He, he left somebody to fucking die. But yeah, they're, they're great people. They're the best. So I'm going to play a little montage of hate and bullshit before we go into this. And, and I put it up three times now. They set the fire because we had another round because COVID's going bad of Republicans are dangerous. So here's one of our two jerk offs of the week. Tell all you fascists you may be surprised People all over this world are getting organized to bound to lose You fascists are bound to lose Race hatred cannot stop us, this one Agenda. Put the call back on the agenda. Exactly right. Uh, and at that point, it, was it just a, immediately as soon as you heard the words that it sounded yeah, like I, a quid pro quo? I, I knew that it was going to be a difficult call because the president s- did, sounded very, very reluctant. He, uh, he, and then all the words coming out of his mouth were geared towards applying pressure. Everything that Ukraine's failing to do, everything that the, U- the U.S. has done for, for Ukraine, which is in fact actually a lot. But uh, all that gearing towards putting a, pl- a pressure on, on Zelensky. Zelensky asked for javelins to defend Ukraine, and that's when the president chimed in with, I'd like you to do us a favor, though. Yeah. And then when you hear these phone calls that occurred after the election, Trump going out and, and talking to the Secretary of State in Georgia, it must have all sounded like deja vu all over again. It did. Uh, but, you know, frankly, th- those stories are worth telling. Those stories about public servants pushing back on corruption, is basically what, what my book is about. Uh, I, I tried, Trump is a foil. He's basically a, a, way, a pivot point to tell a story about doing the right thing. A very important one, uh, uh, you know, catastrophe for our country. But for me, it was about telling the story about figuring out how to do the right thing. All those things in my background that came together, my immigrant background, my perspective on the world, my understanding of authoritarian regimes, something that unfortunately, you know, the Tucker Carlson's of the world don't understand or frankly don't care about. I think they don't care about it. They see it as a way to kind of enrich themselves. But that's the story that frankly this, this book is about. Um, and we should be paying attention to these public servants that held the line, that's physically on J- uh, January 6th, the, the police officers, and then the public servants that be, were behind the scenes refusing to take part in corruption. And we should make sure that those, those uh, are the stories that are being told. And let me ask you, you gave uh, Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn uh, some advice ahead of his testimony to the House Select Committee investigating uh, the Capitol insurrection. Uh, let's listen to what he said afterward. You know what hurts more than, or just as much as what happened on January 6th, the attacks, the attacks on our credibility and that we're lying and that we don't love our country and we're fake police officers and we're not real cop, like, 
Is there a through line here between the attacks on you, uh, attacks on uh, some of the other uh, people who were attacked during the uh, Ukraine impeachment saga, people like Maria Ivanovich and so on? Is there a through line between the attacks on those folks like yourself and, and your credibility and what we're seeing now, these same officers being attacked uh, for trying to do the right thing yep. on January 6th? Absolutely, there is, there is a kinship, uh, a common shared experience. I was talking to uh, one of the SEALs that, was, uh, that reported on Get Eddie Gallagher, another person that I've had conversations with. I, I make it a point to speak to, the, to uh, folks that sh have these similar experiences. And uh, he, I jokingly said that you know, we're all part of, part of a club. He said, a club, a club that needs a larger inseam because we don't take anything and we'll push back when, when uh, it a challenge and, and threatens our values. And I think um, you know, it's interesting to hear folks like Tucker Carlson demonize and hate the United States, because that's what he's doing. At best, illiberal, and at worst, proudly authoritarian. And the nationalist fanatic tropes of their cults have suffused the rhetoric of the most popular and powerful right-wing media outlet in this country. On one side, you have the enemies of everything this nation has ever been and meant. And on the other, you have the patriots, the Americans, the men and women who will do anything to preserve it, because they know what civilization requires. You are the heart of a nation that has slept for so long, but now, at last, you are wide awake. So now I ask you again, what are you willing to do? All right, the people on that channel and those like the fill-in hosts there desperately auditioning for the job seem to think they're being very clever when they don't just come out and say, you should commit violence against your political enemies. What exactly do you think the implication is there in that little peroration? Meanwhile, they've got another host attending a, a dinner, getting feted by a foreign leader, uh, you know, with the waiter in the background, everyone clinking their glasses, conducting an embarrassingly fawning interview with the prime minister of Hungary, who proudly calls his own country an illiberal democracy, described as the American right's favorite strongman, Zach Beauchamp said in Fox, on Vox. I've noticed in the last few nights in Budapest, I've run into a number of Americans who have come here because they want to be around people who agree with them, who agree with you. Do you see Budapest as, as a kind of capital of this kind of thinking? The capital of uh, that kind of thinking, or one of the capitals, because the other Central European countries are also very competitive and producing very nice ideas and uh, organizing that kind of communities of conservative and, uh, and uh, Christian Democrats uh, thinkers as we do. Ah, yes, Hungary, the, the, the shining city on a hill that Americans are fleeing to away from the bad old U.S., I guess. Ruth Ben-Ghiat is a professor of history at New York University, the author of Strong Men, Mussolini to the Present. She also publishes a newsletter called Lucid, where she wrote this week about how Tucker Carlson and Viktor Orban plan our fascist future. Um, Ruth, I know this is your area of expertise. I mean, I, you began uh, uh, your academic study on, on Mussolini. Um, first, I want to start with this rhetoric that you're hearing a lot about, like enemies, domestic enemies. These people are enemies. You hear it a lot on the right. Um, I find it very awful, unnerving rhetoric. And obviously, like, I have a platform, too, and I'm careful about the words I say. Um, am I right to be wigged out by the, by the enemies? You're now awakened. What are you going to do to take the country back from your enemies? Oh, I, I'm wigged out, too, because polarization is just the start. And what we see from so many areas of the right in America now is trying to get people into a kind of survivalist mode. 
you know, it's our way or the apocalypse. And in, um, the contrib contribution of January 6th is that violence is now a viable way of doing politics and moving history forward. So when the speaker says, what are you going to do about it? This is, you know, baiting people. Right. And and so we see it from retired military who start talking about, you know, our our nations in peril. Um, and this is kind of coup talk. Right. Every single coup I have studied uh, and a third of my book, Strongman, is about coups. They were all justified as saving the nation in a moment of peril from the apocalypse. So getting people to buy into the idea of violence and especially assigning violence a patriotic value that you are a patriot if you're going to do anything necessary to save the nation is part of this. You know, I, I find that I find the Hungary uh, sort of flirtation uh, equal parts, you know, um, unnerving and pathetic. Um, and I should note that, you know, American conservatives have a long time, a uh, long history of, you know, humping the leg of, of various authoritarian governments. Um, you know, they loved Franco. Uh, they were very into the South African apartheid state for a while, you know, defended them, were, you know, going down there for conferences. They were super into them. This isn't that new. And yet, you know, the, the biggest voice in that universe saying, hey, look, this is the model um, strikes me as significant. It's really significant because here's the thing. Orban is like the poster child for the new way of being a strongman. Today, you don't shut down elections. You just manipulate elections so you get the results you need to stay in office. You leave a pocket of opposition. So the conference at which Tucker Carlson spoke had a couple of Orban critics so that you can't say, he says, well, I'm not a dictator. You know, I have elections. I let critics. But in, in fact, the nice ideas that the Hungarian uh, person quoted are ethno-nationalism, virulent anti-Semitism, anti-immigrant. Um, you know, in 2020, the year that Orban uh, now rules by decree. So he is a dictator in, formally in that sense. They ended legal recognition of uh, intersex and transgender people. So it's a repressive state. He doesn't poison people like Putin. And in fact, Tucker Carlson is the perfect uh, propagandist for this because he himself, his positions line up with a century of fascist thugs, but he always wears a suit and a tie and he looks very clean cut. So Orban is the kind of non-Putin that people can buy into. And it's all very dangerous. There's also this, I mean, this sort of, the idea. Now these same ghoulish death cult figures are fighting vaccines. We are flooded every day with sad stories of Americans who believed the. We project over and over and over because stories like this come up. I mean, what do you do with a story like this? This is really bad. It's a California person. And then we get this stuff. And, and this is, we're back to this again. Every single day you will find a leftist threatening the political right with death. But blog, Bish blog, which I don't know who that is. It's from the Atlantic. Wishes to convince us it's actually the political right who wants to kill their enemies in this piece. Ebish singles out Jesse Kelly for violent rhetoric. Um... And then it says, when people keep saying they fantasize about how great it would be and feel to kill you, believe them. A timely warning from Bishblock. 
I guess we are to pretend that leftists don't want us dead, but that reality is they do. This man shot and killed a Trump supporter. Leftist cheered. Do you remember? I remember. He doesn't even get all of these. These were There were hundreds during Trump's presidency, before the presidency, of people just pulled out of the car and beat the fuck because they're wearing a red hat. Getting 16, it became rather fashionable to assault Trump supporters, but leftist violence fantasies never come to fruition. Am I right? I mean, it's okay to assault children as long as they're wearing a mega hat. Delaware woman pleads guilty to hate crime after stealing mega hat from crying child whose family was protesting the Democratic Convention. It's the political right. They are the violent ones who want to kill their political opponents. Clearwater police, man threatened to kill Trump supporters, DeSantis, other GOP legislatures. And I just played Mika and I could play hours. I play, every show I play some hate thing. I want to do more about DeSantis. But no, that's not violent rhetoric. Trump saying what he said that was always taken out of context. Yeah, yeah, that's violent rhetoric. Another right-wing terrorist. California protest, uh, prosecutor. Driver tried to kill Trump supporter. We covered it. And politicians on the political right, they never threaten their enemies with death, right? Ibish, I mean, Eric Swalwell threatened to use nuclear weapons against gun openers, gun owners. Biden said, we got the F-15s and nukes. Do we remember that? I could do this all day long. A demonstrator was detained after assaulting President Trump supporter during the Million Mega March Saturday as also reported registered child sex offender. Another leftist politician whenever anyone says we all die from something for various thereof to justify not taking precautions to help protect others in this pandemic we should be allowed to shoot them steve cock fox for congress i cover that too in fact the political left is a violent death cult i guess i missed this this has always been the case. They worship people like Shazagar, Guevara, Mao. If they do acknowledge their violent behavior, it's only to say that their actions are completely necessary and totally reasonable. Leftists literally ask for war with the political right on a daily basis, but when people like Jesse Kelly or Schuster say, okay, we're happy to oblige you, leftists lose their mind. They then screech, see how violent you are? I'm tired of these morons with their disingenuous bullshit. We leftists are no so good and you are so bad. That's what they want the world to believe. Nope, stop threatening me with death, and I'll stop talking about meeting you on a battlefield. Just a second. Love you more, babe. Be safe. Wife's taking off to get a haircut, and I guess I probably should have listened to that a few seconds ago. But, but this is what we have. Th this is what we have. We always have it. Wapo Dana Milbank explains how MAGA and the Trump playbook have fueled Rashida Tlaib's disgusting anti-Semitic bigotry. Those who believe in the promise of multicultural America must call out anti-Semitism from all sources, whether it's as usual from Trump and his white supremacists, or in the case from Tlaib. And, and this is what he does. This is how it's always done. When a leftist does something wrong or does violence, we excuse it, release him, don't charge him. We got 600 people in solitary fucking confinement for trespassing. Checkmate. 
It's classic Trump move. Blame a minority group for sinister conspiracy. Then deny responsibility when supporters act on the basis claim. Few have been victimized by Donald Trump's hateful tactics more than Rashida Tlaib, who with other members of the squad were told by Trump to go back and help fix the totally broken and crime infested places from which they came. So why is Tlaib now using Trump playbook against others? But more than dumb, it's repugnant. Tlaib, who is in a Palestinian descent and Muslim, knows what it's like to be target of bigotry. Practices the same against Jews further nobody cause but Trump. Tlaib regularly uses age-old anti-Semitic tropes because of MAGA? This is insidious version of GOP pounce. The progressive left has been normalizing Jew-baiting long before Trump. It's repugnant that Bill Bank can't just say it. Rashida Tlaib did and say absolutely nothing wrong. For the upteenth time, attacking Israel is not anti-Semitic. Dana equates BDS with anti-Semitic violence is just crooked. Good Lord, this is a load of nonsense. See here. This is made-up garbage. If you're interested in facts, here are the facts. This article is more of an example of Dana Milbank racism towards Palestinians than it is Rashida Tlaib's anti-Semitism. See, that, that's the left. We got this. Obama. Throw the book at him. We got this. Breaking, Matthew Rupert, 29, in Gettysburg, Illinois, has been sentenced to nearly nine years of federal prison after being convicted for his role in the Minneapolis anti-Antifa riots last year. He handed out explosives instead of store. This is the longest sentence for a BLM rider. Convinced BLM arsonist Matthew Lee Rupert drove more than 400 miles to do it, and there's no stories on it, and he's one of the few we can find. Minneapolis Democratic Party Chair writes that sending a police precinct on fire is an act of pure righteousness. Example of Democrats' defense of political violence by their partisans, Minneapolis Democratic Party Chair praises burning police precincts in the ground, pure righteousness to open new worlds of understanding. Hogan writes, the youth of Minneapolis have grown up seeing the police murder people who look like them without consequences. They are out of fuck, out of fucks to give. Deliberately antagonizing them was a cruel excuse to give an opportunity to knock heads. Everything that followed was a proportional response. Like it or not, setting the third precinct on fire was a genuine revolutionary moment, an act of pure righteousness to open up new worlds of understanding. The people declared themselves ungovernable and unilaterally took their power back. The largest international human rights movement in modern history had begun. The youth of Minneapolis carried all of this. The cops started it. Let's focus on the line in the article. The people declared themselves ungovernable. Boy, is that an understatement. It seems that people never destroy their own possessions of property to open new worlds of understanding. Exactly. Complete moral and relative inversion has taken place in what is the greatest country to ever exist. Of course, comrades will praise revolt. No surprise. Probably has some high praise for carjackers as well. I get a clear understanding every time I watch the radical let purposely destroy property. What the hell has happened to Minneapolis that they have lunatics like this in positions of power? That's the question. And then you get into the Chicago. The mother attacks police and gets arrested. That's the loser that shot because he had expired tags. We, we've dropped the story. Chicago cops turned back a Mary Lori Lightfoot. This has been the big thing all week. People are upset about it. It appears that Lori Lightfoot lied because they didn't even do the tradition. 
The damage to CPD <clears throat> morale from this incident involved Eric Carter is incalculable. He reportedly said, we don't have 20 minutes for this shit as police prepared for the traditional bagpipe tribute to Ella French. Annoying a sacred ritual, Carter impatiently declared, we don't have 20 minutes for this shit. He demanded the Chicago Fire Department ambulance bearing French body be taken directly into the medical examiner's office, skipping the Emerald Society traditional paying the bagpipes. We're not waiting on the bagpipes. Go ahead and get the vehicle inside. Take it all the way inside. Do not stop. Former Chicago Police Superintendent Gary McCarthy said the time-honored ritual tied to line of duty death of Chicago police officer is sacred. For the department's second in command to ignore it is not only sacrilege, it's inexcusable. Mary Lori Lightfoot says the decision not to allow the honor guard bagpipe at the morgue after the shooting death of Officer Ella French was due to COVID-19 protocols. One note on the Eric Carter controversy, despite him saying we don't have 20 minutes for this shit, the bagpipe ritual happened, issued for many, is how they handle it and discussed it. Should have given one of the musicians at Lola a set of bagpipes. Because that was okay. She went to it. I mean, it's not like they're playing bagpipes indoor, right? That would be a whole other set of protocol. The medical examiner officer contradicts Mayor Life but claimed that COVID protocols prevented the bagpipes from playing from the medical examiner office. Protocols for procession of the Cook County. I think I got it here. There we go. Uh, Cook County Medical Examiner Office has not changed since the pandemic began. First responders have always gathered in the office parking lot and docked to pay respect to fallen officers and firefighters. Early Sunday morning, police officers gathered in the parking lot and did it without the body. Are you surprised? Is anybody surprised? I'm not. Here's somebody talking about it. Now is John Canizera, president of Chicago's Fraternal Order of Police. John, we heard a story um, about Lori Lightfoot going to see uh, the officer in critical condition and his family in the hospital. Uh, what happened when she got there? Well, first of all, I want people to say her name, Ella French. Our city is less safe because Ella French is no longer with us. It's a disgrace. But when the mayor, against the wishes of the family, proceeded up to the seventh floor of that hospital, she was given a little advice by the officer's father, who was a recently retired CPD member. Um, and he let her know what he thought, and he didn't appreciate her coming up there. And the officers on that floor, when she went to approach them, all turned around, faced the other way, and took a couple steps away from her. Um, it was literally an exclamation point to the sentiment that was seven floors below on the street level where I was with several hundred officers. It was a very palpable, angry, resentful, um, just police force. And it wasn't just because of the incident. It was because the mayor was there and certain brass who have led to a lot of problems within this police department. Well, there's an enormous amount of pent-up anger, uh, frustration, a sense of betrayal uh, among the officers we had a chance to talk to today. They wouldn't come on camera. Uh, words cannot describe their emotion, but Ella French's name is a name that I'm so glad you said, said it the way you said it. They want everyone to know her name. Give These are the things that make me lose my fucking mind. Because we just had a whole stint of the White House and Democrats 
by inserting money into COVID relief and all this shit, saying that, oh, and the ATF head, that, you know, Republicans don't care about crime and they don't care about cops. And Republicans hate cops because of what happened on January 6th. And they question the validity of the shit show that we put on for the January 6th commission. Which, you know, it's just kind of went away, right? Just went away. Didn't work. It was a big goose egg on the, yeah, we believe this shit. These motherfuckers hate cops. They've always hated cops. It's all a lie. And I'm only going to cover this briefly. How many fucking laptops has this motherfucker lost? There's video, Daily Mail, because, you know, our country doesn't deal with that kind of shit. Literally showing him saying, uh, Russian prostitute blackmailing me for my shit. We spent four years of Russia, motherfucking Russia. Are you serious? Yeah, they are. They're serious. So, let's do a few fun things before we hit COVID. The White House urges OPEC to pump more oil above and beyond the current 400,000 barrels a day monthly hikes the cartel is already implementing. White National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan calls on OPEC to boost oil production, saying plant production increase won't offset cuts made during the COVID-19 pandemic. At a critical moment in global recovery, this is simply not enough. What about... You've destroyed American oil production, and you're doing this. So Crenshaw and a few other ones nail this fucking shit because, you know, once again, if this was Trump, sweet googly goo. Reaching a whole new level of stupid, the Biden administration has OPEC foreign oil to increase production while making every possible attempt to destroy cleaner American oil and gas. Not just stupid. But anti-American. John Kerry, worth hundreds of millions, tells blue-collar workers to go to work to make the solar panels. By the way, solar will pay an average 20K less than oil and gas jobs. John Kerry thinks you should just shut up and accept it. No. But it's, it's a new level of fucking dumb. Because we haven't fucking stopped with this goddamn global warming bullshit because they're trying to once again push it in to fucking the next round of shit 3.5 more trillion because we just got a money tree in the backyard UN climate panel continues decade-long climate fear porn. UN routinely warns us that we have just a few years left in the catastrophe. 72, half a century ago, Marie Strong, first UN Environment Post Program Director, warned that the world had just 10 years. The United Nations apparently cited Market's new climate report with the slogan, On a warming planet, no one is safe. I'm sorry, that's just fucking dumb. Especially during summer. But... It, here they are. They, once again, when Obama came up with the most net noid shit, they would run articles about how important it was. Just like they do for freaking the moratorium with fake people and COVID with fake nurses. So he can get his stupid next chunk of money of freaking liberal Green New Deal bullshit. 
Here's some damn climate porn. The IPCC says there's only a medium chance it will not collapse. Well, this was the premise of the movie Day After Tomorrow, mm. just to give you an Jeez. idea. Now, oh, it's, it's wow. not going to look like that. It's not, I was going to say, that's really scary. But, you know, science fiction was based on that possibility. All right, well, let's stay cautiously optimistic. But thank you for bringing us that, Jeff. We'll be right You're back. Welcome. Thank you. I hate to be the grim reaper. So a landmark climate report released just this morning by a U.N. scientific panel says there's no avoiding a hotter future. It said Earth's climate is warming at a rate faster than previously thought and warns that the window for action to avoid the most dire consequences is narrowing fast. The U.N. Secretary General calls the report a code red for humanity. CNN Chief Climate Correspondent Bill Weir joins us now live. Look, we were just finishing, you know, Brianna and, and Mitch talking about how bad things are in Louisiana with COVID. This is a, a worldwide blinking code red. Yes, and it is a code red for humanity is the way the yeah. Secretary General puts it now. This is a 234 scientists, 66 countries. They spent eight years really doing the state of the science, where things stand. And there's nothing new here. It's just like the worst thing you want to hear from your doctor. Yes, you have it and you have this and yet you have that. They moved up uh, the sort of the warming trend as the tools get better, as computer models get better, as satellites get better. They're able to now say it looks like we're going to blow past the Paris Accord target, right? We've warmed up the planet about two degrees Fahrenheit in the Industrial Revolution. Paris line was 2.7. We'll probably blow past that in 2030, a decade sooner than previously thought. Uh, but every fraction of every degree counts mm -hmm. because we all want to live on a planet that's at two degrees, not one that's at four or eight is where things are going if nothing happens. What about rising sea levels, things like that? So I was just up in Greenland uh, recently with some scientists up there who are really the first responders, and their lives are becoming more endangered every time they go out on this melting ice. And uh, as much of Greenland melted in one day last week to cover Florida in two inches of water, the whole state, and that's a daily occurrence. And now the, the new science in this report says it also is sort of grinding the gears of the ocean's currents, the Gulf Stream, which runs weather patterns from the Bahamas to Ireland and all up the, the northeast United States, is being affected by this. And so even if you live inland, uh, this will affect weather patterns because everything is so connected. But there is the science there. There is the solutions there that ultimately the, all this comes down to is human nature and politics. You just got to make changes. But again, this is the sixth of these, uh, chapter six of these warning reports for us. And, and the pledges that were made at the Paris Accords, n no country virtually is, is meeting them yet. And they're supposed to try to go to Glasgow in a few months and up the ante and say we're going to do even more. Uh, politics gets in the way. I think in the United States, obviously, you, you see what's happening just with an infrastructure bill, just trying to do some modest things. It becomes a, a partisan fight. Uh, but what you're seeing a lot of action in and may dictate how things go is in the courts. Uh, the so-called climate kids suing for the right to a, a livable planet or or who's accountable for this. Can you use sort of forensics of tying weather events to climate change and then sue an oil or gas company for their for their part in that? That is what is maybe the next chapter and reports like this, which is really the definitive state of the science, will go to both judges, juries, and policymakers. And Bill, uh, the Biden administration outlined that the climate crisis would be a big priority. Obviously, there is plenty that the United States can do to help this effort, but ultimately it's a global issue. Um, are, are you seeing enough from other major players like China 
to make a difference? It, it doesn't sound like it. Well, China is, is trying to have it all. They have so many miles to feed and, and, and people lifting into the middle class. So they're putting more coal online than a lot of the rest of the world. But they're also leading the world in solar and, and trying to have it all. They're also a race for natural resources out there. Right now, we're dealing really the social license to go drilling for oil these days. When we know what it's doing to us, how long will companies have that social license? We stop burning whales for, for light at a certain point. How mm. soon... Then comes this. And this just, you know, is a guy who's sitting here thinking that September 11th anniversaries less than a month. 19 years ago, I left Afghanistan. They have taken over the fucking country. I mean, they've just taken it over. American hubris hid military weakness. And then that little twerp with the red hair said this. The Taliban also has to make an assessment about what they want their role to be in the international community. Does she even know what they're like? I mean, I know they, they they really like them a lot. I mean, they have the same views, taking down monuments, blowing shit up, putting people through madrasas. I mean, the left and the Taliban are very similar. Their ideas of how to rule people are very similar. Have a bunch of brown shirts beating fucking people up. Sexualization of little boys. It's all there. But are you fucking shitting me? America's back. Yeah. We're back, all right. We're so back. I think the Taliban has already made that assessment. Pretty certain they've done that. Why fight the Taliban when we can lecture them instead? They want to lead the UN. Climate change and win a Nobel. The Taliban assessment is that the role they want most is to be the holders of the absolute victory in Afghanistan. Probably a more realistic view of things, too, than banking on the elusive international community. Don't worry, we have a new policy against Taliban. Shaming them. And others who said the same thing I do. They're just like you. The most transparent administration ever. Science and facts are back. And a lot of stupid fucking people bought that shit. They, they bought it. Hook, line, and sinka. Which brings us to COVID. It's the next Jerk Off of the Week. Iowa politics, the media jerk off of the week. So hot. Across the entire southwest border, 210,000 migrant apprehensions were reported for July, a 21-year high that's caught the attention of conservative leaders across the country. If you just want to hopscotch across that border, 
They don't care about COVID. They're letting you straight in. A CBS News medical expert says the COVID positive cases from across the border are relatively small and attribute the latest surge across the U.S. to the Delta variant, low vaccination rates, and rolled back restrictions. But local officials in Texas are already growing concerned. Initially, I didn't see it as a problem because it was under control. So I saw no correlation between the increase in COVID within our community and, and uh, the immigrants because they were isolated. But now I think there's an issue because now they're going throughout. Lamar Jackson saying yesterday, despite having COVID twice, he still needs to learn more about the vaccine before he considers getting it incomprehensible. I mean, Lamar Jackson is a great quarterback, but he's a, he's setting a terrible example uh, for his fans. And also, he's endangering his career. Well, Lamar Jackson is a tremendous quarterback, a tremendous athlete. There's no doubt about that, Willie. But he's not a team guy because he has just proven he is not a team guy. If Lamar Jackson transfers whatever element of COVID he might still have or might still get in the future and risks his team forfeiting the game, that's a loss for the team. So already he's proven not a team guy. The other aspect of it, getting COVID twice and still being worried about the vaccine, I mean, that is truly mystifying. Gene, uh, one of your recent op-eds in the Washington Post is titled, Too Many Republicans Are Taking covid 19 Side in the fight against the pandemic. And you write in part this, this is the GOP's pandemic now. Cynical and irresponsible Republican politicians have created an environment that is killing Americans who shouldn't have to die. Swamping hotel, uh, hospital systems with desperately ill patients. And they've done so in their own self-interest. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has taken the position that pandemic public health measures are an intolerable assault on personal freedom, a message many rank-and-file Republicans apparently welcome. Their basic message, your body, your choice, nobody else's business. But And, of course, this was written before Governor DeSantis threatened the salaries of school system employees. I mean, the Republican brand, like visually, is going to be the COVID virus. It's so high in Florida that I think that if Florida were another country, we would have to consider banning uh, travel from Florida to the United States. I just, once again, I, I these fucking people, we talk about violence. I mean, every time I play something, it's violence and what we should do. I mean, seriously, the border, they're so pissed at that border guy, first soundbite, he agreed with conservatives morning joe it's a it's a death cult uh we then have banned travel to florida yeah that's rational especially with people have this confidential white house pr email sent to tiktok and floors begging them to do an intimate zoom call with dr falke and they did it i think i played it in the intro a literal fucking uh, a conversation with falke that that's what we're doing because yeah that makes sense yeah i played it yeah i played it that that's that's just yeah no idolatry you fucking people that one with the guy with the fingernail this is pretty much a tacit admission to the behalf of the biden administration that people who aren't getting vaxxed aren't republican because this isn't a meant to meant for the right i'm 100 positive this video will not influence anyone 
Zero people will be convinced. Great to have the adults back. Science and shit. Science. Yeah. It's all about the science. You fucking people. And then you get this. That, that once again, I could go through all the roasting of the TikTokers. I'm not going to. This soundbite right here is why CNN is nothing but propaganda. And then there's Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis. About one in five new cases of COVID in the United States, one in five in the country, are coming out of Florida. According to DeSantis, it's because of the border with Mexico. Joe Biden has taken to himself to try to single out Florida um, over COVID. Uh, this is a guy who ran for president saying he was going to, quote, shut down the virus. And what has he done? He's imported more virus from around the world by having a wide open southern border. Why don't you do your job? Why don't you get this border secure? And until you do that, I don't want to hear a blip about COVID from you. Now, I know you might be asking, does Florida share a border with Mexico? And you'd be right. Nope. Abba DeSantis has an explanation for that. You have hundreds of thousands of people pouring across every month. Not only are they letting them through, they're then farming them out all across our communities across this country, putting them on planes, putting them on buses. That claim is not based in fact. There's no proof of some large-scale importation of COVID-sickened migrants to Florida that could be blamed for the terrible infection numbers in DeSantis's state. And as we noted, hundreds of thousands of immigrants are being expelled. And Senator Rand Paul, who just slammed the CDC for offering guidelines on safely reopening schools, is making this bizarre claim with zero evidence. They're taking kids from down at the border who may have it, and they're plucking them up and putting them all over the United States as if they're wishing to seed the country with a new variant. It's an awful thing to do. There are some in the Republican Party who insist that COVID isn't so bad, certainly not bad enough to have kids wear masks in school, even if they're too young to be vaccinated. But actually, it is bad. They say very bad, a threat, in fact, if it's undocumented immigrants bringing it into the country. And again, no evidence that they're responsible for the COVID surge in U.S. communities. It is the centuries-old trope of demonizing foreign people as diseased. The R-naught on that virus is sky high. And these conservative voices know that. They're the vectors here infecting Americans they profess to care about with misinformation. And the rising case numbers, the lagging vaccination numbers are proof of that. And also, Governor Ron DeSantis, you know, we'd love to hear a blip from you about the record hospitalizations in Florida and what you intend to do to get those numbers down because they keep on rising. Yeah, a lot of his policies right now are not, uh, you know, they're not discouraging those numbers. And it seems like he's looking for a scapegoat. But it's uh, like I said. She tweeted this. President Biden has a border crisis on his hand, no doubt. But conservatives are capitalizing on it by demonizing immigrants as disease spreader. Ah, yes, the talking points went up this morning. The logic argument that open borders leads to more disease was far too obvious and damaging, and Libs panicked to come up with something. However, this Lib will be shocked to realize that no one believes this agitprop anymore. Blank Keller CNN does not want you to watch this video directly from the border. Did they test you for COVID? No. Are you vaccinated? No. 
I'll play it. The stripes over here. Notice the big crowd of illegals over here. Just going to find out uh, what their status is. How, how long ago did they get here? They brought them straight from there over here. So they're literally bringing them from the wall and just dropping them off here. Did they did they get any uh, court date or anything like that? It goes on and on and on. It's just incredibly obvious. These are the pictures they're getting out. Reporters on the border because CNN's not there. Emergency Compound Center for COVID-19 Positive Migrants leaves federal custody expanded significantly overnight. Several hundred here initially capacity 250. Now we're at 650. Whistleblower says we were told to downplay COVID outbreak among minors. That's NBC News. Then people start asking, where in the fuck is AOC? We did white suit at fences crying. Do we remember that? I do, but that lying little wench on the right, this is what she did when she got responded to. Talking points went out. Unvaccinated Americans, disproportionately Republican Fox viewers, are fueling the surge, not migrants, who are near 100% tested and quarantined if positive. Why not talk about the border crisis without dabbling in BS and racist tropes? You know you're wrong, Brianna. You have absolutely no evidence. Show your work. Complete lie. 70,000 migrants have crossed the border in this month. They are not texted. Have you seen vaccination rates by demographics? Black and Hispanic people remain less than vaccinated than white counterparts. Disproportionately Republican. Why is this allowed on Twitter, Jack? It's a lie. And that's why we find out 24 consecutive weeks without a million viewers. This little twat right here doesn't even get 400,000 viewers. So you got to make shit up. You can't do anything else. This is one of their betters. This is one of your betters, excuse me. This guy's better than us. He's supposed to tell us how to think. He doesn't even know what fucking escrow is. Escrow. No clue. And then we have this soundbite. I'm going to play it again just to refresh us. Uh, Other people said, you know, this is really being overblown. They're following all the safety precautions. People are going to sporting events that are bigger than this. This is going to be safe. This is a sophisticated vaccinated crowd. And and this is just about optics. It's not about safety. All right. Andy Carney, thanks so much. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, good talking to you. New York Times reporter hits back after conservatives mock comments on sophisticated vaccinators. She gets all sorts of butt hurt. New York Times reporter rages at Fox for playing it. 
The reporter repeats Obama talking points to Acosta. New York Times spokesman on Fox dishonorably attacking Anna Karnick. This is yet another clear example of bad faith attacks on journalists. Our reporter's comments were taken out of context. While Fox didn't start the harassment campaign against the reporter, they amplified it. Tim Graham. At 5.42, C. Jim, be objective about Obama's birthday bash, asked bland questions like, what safety precautions are there? What do the locals say? Annie Carney throws Obama talking point. This is going to be safe. This is sophisticated and vaccinated. By 5.20 on Saturday, let's call it the DeSantis version. Don't lie. That's what they believe. They believe we're all losers. It's not bad faith. It's reality. That's him coming back to the White House. And after the weekend when shit went bad, here's Rashida Tlaib at a party or a wedding. She ain't masked. And then all of a sudden, boom. This morning I hosted a virtual meeting with business, university, and health leaders. We discussed strategies, and everybody's in a fucking mask. The world goes, I'm sure they took the fucking mask off after it was over. Because they got caught. They got caught. They got caught. That's why they did it. These fucking people literally don't follow the rules. The rules are for you. And the rules are just there to get everybody scared so we can win a fucking election. Or we can get build back better, better building. But here's Tucker on the reality of all of it. They don't give a fuck. They just want to replace you. There's a fine line, Tucker, between telling people we're not breaking the law and not enforcing it and being okay with that. Some ICE officials will tell you, well, you know, the Biden administration isn't telling us to break the law, but they're, they're definitely telling you not to enforce it. Well, that former ICE official, Thomas Feely, retiring over what he calls the administration's refusal to enforce the law. Also claiming activists from nonprofits routinely weigh in and stop deportations. And now Tucker Carlson exclusively obtaining emails confirming this, like this one that you see on your screen from a member of the Abolish ICE movement urging ICE to block the deportation of a convicted felon. Wow, uh, the request was ultimately forwarded along by ICE director uh, Tay Johnson, who requested a 14-day stay of removal to which an official responded, will do. Tucker Carlson joins us now. Another scandal revolving the border. Uh, Tucker, this is unbelievable. They fit, a lot of these whistleblowers feel a whole at home on your show. That's the ultimate reward, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, this, you know what this tells you, honestly? That what's happening at the border is not a crisis. A crisis is a flood in Bangladesh. It's an act of God. This is an intentional act. This is the administration bringing felons, violent criminals, into our country on purpose. Why would you do something like that, only to destroy it? I mean, there's, there's, there's no other explanation for this. It's not an act of compassion. It's an act of hostility against the United States in order to change it forever. I think this is the greatest scandal of my lifetime, what's happening on the border right now. Well, absolutely. Although you've heard Secretary Mayorkas, Tucker, says the strategy is working, which makes you wonder, what is the strategy? Right. Well, the strategy is to change the demographics of the country. Now, when you say that, they have a heart attack and they call you names, but they say it out loud. 
-hmm. I mean, they say it on the floor of the Senate. Dick Durbin did two weeks ago. This country is changing in a way that benefits the Democratic Party, more Democratic voters. There's no other upside in this policy. By the way, it doesn't help the people coming from around the world. There's a humanitarian disaster unfolding thanks to the Biden administration. The only beneficiaries are the people who run the Democratic Party, and this is an effort to change the country. And we should be honest about it and not be bullied into silence as they take our country away and import violent criminals. What? What is That's the benefit of that, though? I, I, I've heard Republicans say it's to turn Arizona and Texas blue, but what's the benefit of let, allowing felons to come in? Well, I, you know, for the same, the same reason that they push to allow felons to vote is the same reason they're doing this. That's they true. believe these are their voters. I mean, look at their behavior, not what they say. If you want to know the truth about something, you know, put earmuffs on and just watch the person talking to you. What's he doing? And what they're doing is bringing in people they think will vote for them. And I don't know. I mean, that is an attack on democracy. It's the definition of it. When you change the electorate, right. you change the outcome. You disempower the people who live here. You take their votes away. That's what they're doing. Why, why is no one saying anything about this? But, but Tucker, you know what I, I'm heartened by? I'm, I'm playing this out. It's going to blow up in Democrats' faces, and you saw it in the last election. More Hispanic votes went Donald Trump than ever before. Yes. People who live in these areas who are Hispanic want to be Americans first, and they see this is hurting their country. That's and, right. And if people think that Hispanics are going to go to, the Democ uh, to Democrats, I think it's game on because it's not. Well, I think that's exactly why they're doing this, because they saw in the last election results that people with Spanish last names on the border are just Americans like everybody else. And they don't want their country wrecked either. Just because they have a Hispanic last name doesn't mean that they're for this craziness. They're not. And they voted against it. So the Democrats need to import new people. Not, And it doesn't matter what, what racial or ethnic group they're from. They're from other countries. Democrats are bringing them here purely to vote for them. Purely. This is all political. They don't give a fuck of those motherfuckers at Ebola. They're coming in. White House spokesman talks about how cloth masks work, don't work very well. Nothing happens. Rand Paul says it. He's suspended. Jim Jordan sums all this bullshit up best. COVID-19 spreads at church, school, Trump rallies, motorcycle rallies. It doesn't spread at peaceful protests, southern border, Democrat wedding receptions, San Francisco hair salons, Governor Newsom's dinner, President Obama's fucking birthday. But I don't expect CNN to admit it because they're not going to. But it, it, that's the facts. That's what COVID is. It's just a tool. Then you get people that really start digging into it. Okay, don't listen to me. Listen to the professor at the John Hopkins School of Medicine and the chief pediatric at Tufts. Before we order, and this is a fucking doctor, before we order masking of 56 million American kids who are too young to vote and don't have a lobby, let's see data showing it actually works. It's abusive to force kids who struggle with them to sacrifice for the sake of unvaccinated adults. Then you start getting this crazy shit. These are the people we're supposed to follow. Some seriously important CDC guidance for the kind of people who take CDC guidance seriously. Do not taste or eat any raw dough or batter, whether from cookies, tortilla, pizza, pancakes. Do not let children play with eat raw dough. Well done for burgers. FDA, well done. You weren't supposed to be eating burgers. No runny eggs. Cook eggs until the yolks until they're done. Don't give chicks. And duckling to young children. It goes on and on. Peppermint. Just the stupidest fucking things. Then you find out they lumped 
two days into one. It was all a lie. The whole Florida thing has been ramped up higher than it really is. Daily case count Florida currently posted on the COVID tracker incorrect. The current is 28. The accurate day, data as follows, 21 15-3, 3-day average 18. Um, Florida just retracted their daily COVID data that they have reported to the CDC. Well, at least they admit it now, waiting for more details. Eric is a super spreader of disinformation. No, but that's how they spun it. You saw it in the media. The Florida Department of Health just reported the three-day averages. These numbers conflict with CDC because the CDC lumped it all together on purpose. CDC will probably pub publish incorrect data cases in Florida. CDC amends Florida COVID-19 numbers after pushback from state officials. At the CDC website showed record high numbers for Sunday, August 8th. The Florida Department of Health balked, accusing the agency of folding several days of new cases into one. The gap was significant with the CDC initially claiming there were 28,000, but there were 15. They adjusted it to 19. Fascinating the CDC would mistakenly inflate Florida COVID numbers at the time of President Biden is trying to discredit DeSantis. After the CDC lied by combining multiple days to represent one, I'd be generous to say that it was a mistake, but the lying about masks wasn't a mistake. The refusal to acknowledge the mere possibility of lab leak wasn't a mistake. And it goes on and on. The mistakes are always one way. They always benefit Democrats. CDC gets fact-checked on its bogus claim that COVID-19 is more contagious than chickenpox. The graphic of the CDC shows just how contagious COVID Delta variant is on par with chickenpox. Very worrisome daddy, says Andrea Mitchell, because she wants to build back better, too. Internal CDC report calls Delta variant as contagious as chickenpox. Chicken you might have heard the Delta variant is contagious as chickenpox. Not so, but it's likely the most contagious respiratory virus. This chart shows how Delta variant transmissible ranks among diseases like chickenpox. Who correcting them? N-P-fucking-R. Nate Silver. I want to know more about the provenance of this leaked CDC document that emphasizes this stupid claim. Were they trying to make it seem like they had very robust evidence of reversal on mass? Were they trying to get people's attention? Or say, did the slides represent a minority heterodox view within the CDC? Some individuals disagree with the agency take on Delta. A final variation, maybe the CDC thought it needed to get the message out, so they just lied. Kevin Glass, the internet isn't real life and neither are New York Times headlines, but I've met multiple not online people in real life whose understanding was the Delta isn't as contagious as chickenpox, even among vaccinated people. The CDC document and the reporting on it were just abysmal. All politics. MRC uses CDC data. They get fact-checked. NPR fact-checks for another Delta fear-mongering that they did. This one. Benny Sargent wants to have some empathy for politicians incandescent with rage and having their parties marred by other people's decision. I'm not going to read the whole thing. They're doing this because they like lockdowns. Led to innumerable bad takes for months. Now it's leading people to miss how angry vaccinated people are at the unvaccinated, forcing a return to precaution on behalf. I'm not angry at anybody. It's not good for a country when 70% sees the other 30 as voluntary prolonging a crisis. 
There's been a recent focus on look at this politician doing fun indoor stuff, and sure, fair enough. What is missing is the politicians are presumably, like lots of people, angry. No. No, they, they didn't follow along altogether. And it's what they believe they should be able to do. Rule you. Whenever anyone says we all die from something to justify not taking precautions to help protect others of the pandemic, we should be allowed to shoot them. Why are you crying? We all die for something. For you, it's a bullet in your gut. August 9th, 2021, Dem candidate. They believe it because they believe we should be doing what Paris is doing. You have to have papers to move around. Odd take for a Democrat that I found. The U.S. panic about COVID and kids, something unique unfolding here, unlike anywhere else in the world, is mass hysteria. I'm sorry, but the Democrat Party is a party of delusional mass hysteria right now. Full stop. That's what it is. It's QAnon-level alternative reality. I say this as a lifetime progressive Democrat who's never voted for a Republican in my life. Fuck, this is my Facebook profile throughout the primary. The dinosaurs, the discourse, excuse me, let me move that up since it's over my face. The discourse, the media, the opinions, the emotion, this is cultural bound. This hyper-dichotomized reaction, we are, are the outliers here, and it's not because anyone else on the planet is deluded. Getting a lot of, erm, this is bad take, or child killer Karen say what? Or sliding with the fascist now, are we, lady? So if you're here by means of one of those, please know that you're far from alone here. It just feels that way amidst the endless, shamey, emotional appeals. And she's right. They're delusional. New York still has more deaths and has a bigger death rate than Florida. But you don't hear that when all you fucking hear is this shit. Conservatives are terrorists. They want to kill your kids with fucking COVID. And then you'll see some pushback from the only reporter who actually cares, Stephen Ducey. My pinned tweet on Twitter says exactly that, that the Republican Party, Mm. Representative Swalwell, is harboring that insurgency. And it is a white nationalist insurgency. Let's just be blunt. You have to work with people who pretty much have that on in their offices all day and think that is mainstream beliefs. You work with these people, Congressman. Do you feel comfortable and safe working with people who, at minimum, are willing to live with that kind of fascism and white nationalism in their party? No, Joy, I don't. Even though, and I've said this a year ago on this program, QAnon would would take over the Republican ideology. And it has. The belief in the inherent evilness of all Democrats and that there's a global cabal that must be destroyed by force of arms, that is now standard throughout the conservative base. So let me prognosticate a little bit more. The Republican Party, you know, I used to joke that they were vanilla ISIS, right? All of these <laughs> these militiamen and everything out there. They were like ISIS. They were like Al-Qaeda in the sense that they um, radicalized online. They would meet together in secret. And they did all of these activities, which were very much like a terrorist, you know, a terrorist insurgency. Now I think they have shifted. The Republican Party is more like Sinn Féin. There are kids, first of all, too young to get vaccinated. 
Um, right. And then there are also kids who have pre-existing conditions who could die from COVID. And there are screaming, sometimes violent parents saying they will they want no mask mandates and they want to be able to send unmasked, potentially contagious kids to school. We got your back, educators. We're going to be discussing what ways we can support you better. Uh, but at the end of the day, as you mentioned, gaps were made worse during the pandemic. And I'm wondering how, how the rights of these students are being violated with some of these actions. We're looking into this. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And these kids have rights. Governor DeSantis in Florida, as you know, is now threatening to withhold salaries of school board members and superintendents in districts that do not comply with his order outlawing, outlawing mask mandates at schools. What's the White House's take on that? So in simple terms, what is the what do you say directly to Governor DeSantis about this about this threatened punishment? On the DeSantis Florida situation, you mentioned the relief money that's heading to Florida. Are you guys aware of any mechanism you could use to withhold federal funds from Florida if the governor keeps up this kind of activity? Um, when you're talking about federal funds being um, used in some way to affect an outcome with the state school districts, can you describe whether you're talking about sort of paying directly, paying these funds directly to the school districts, or you're talking about withholding funds? Like, what is sort of the flow of funding, and what is the amount that we're talking about? Sure powers to intervene in states like Texas and Florida where they are banning mask mandates? I, I, I don't believe that I do thus far. We're checking that. We, but there are a federal workforce I can. And uh, I think that people should understand, seeing little kids, I mean, four or five, six years old, in hospitals on ventilators, and some of them passing, not many, but some of them passing, it's almost, I mean, it's, it's just, well. As the president tries to reach unvaccinated Americans, has there been any thought given, looking back, uh, to the possibility that he may have created some vaccine hesitancy when last year, around this time, the previous administration was rushing to get a vaccine authorized? And so now the president said, I trust vaccines, I trust scientists, but I don't trust Donald Trump. And at this moment, the American people can't either. Well, I think it's safe to say he still doesn't trust Donald Trump, so that hasn't changed. But he does trust scientists, he does trust data experts, and he does trust the people leading the CDC, the FDA, uh, which is the gold standard of approval for vaccines. I'd also note, because this question often comes up, that the president has repeatedly given credit to uh, scientists and experts from the prior administration, uh, even as recently as just a few weeks ago, for their role in moving the vaccine forward. Yes, but at the time when Donald Trump is out there saying we're going to have a vaccine in the next couple of weeks, next couple of months, and Joe Biden is out on the campaign trail saying don't trust Donald Trump, did that create any kind of vaccine hesitancy? Not that we've seen in the data. I would note that at the time, just for context, the former president was also suggesting people inject versions of poison into their veins to cure COVID. So I think that's a relevant and, point. And Joe Biden, then vice president, was saying we got to wait until something is fully authorized, and it's still not. Well, the FDA works on the timeline and of science. At the same time, we've also seen tens of millions of people's lives saved who have gotten the vaccine. It's all politics. This is the case rate in Martha's Vineyard post Obama's party. 1,829% up. An average of six cases per day reported in Dukes County, 1829% increase from the average two weeks ago since the beginning of the pandemic at least one in 12 residents have been affected a total of 1501 
seeing some reports this morning that Martha's Vineyard is not a hot spot for COVID infections, reporting that appears to run counter to the facts. Because why would we? Why would we report the truth? They're sophisticated. Most hesitant, not mega PhDs. And I'll play this one, but I won't. Joy Reid and Education Secretary Cordona Float repugnant conspiracy theory about conservatives' schools and COVID. Watch. Along the Education Secretary Cardona threatening Ron DeSantis with school closures, MSDNC's Joy Reid floats conspiracy theory that conservatives are not only unvaccinated, but they're so heinous they're going to send their children to flood public schools with COVID. That was allowed on air. Because it's all hate. Everything is hate. It's not based on reality. It is based on nothing but hate. They hate you if they can somehow work it out to win political points. They're going to do it. That's what they do. It's what they're about. As we go into woke. We're going to hear a religious bash, which is going to go with a great article about BLM. Pisaki shutting down a question about abortion because we don't talk about abortion. And Ben Shapiro owning Nance from MSDNC. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Make a statement or, you know, some other show of support for him. Uh, he, he, he supports him. Uh, I don't have anything in terms of additional steps to preview for you. Go ahead. Jay, what is the uh, White House reaction to the Hyde Amendment being included in the $3.5 trillion budget resolution? I don't think I'm going to negotiate from here. The president's position on Hyde is well known, and we've stated many times publicly. I think we're going to move on. Go ahead. Go ahead, Joey. Go ahead, Joey. Go ahead. I think we're going to move on so we can get some more people. Go ahead. It doesn't help to scream over people. I was in Naples yesterday, that's Collier County. First day of school, there are kids all excited showing up to school, and I talked to some parents <clears throat> and some kids about wearing masks. Interestingly, one parent with their children not wearing masks said, we are not wearing masks because we believe our faith will protect us. Uh, Willie, I just it just makes me scratch my head when I hear reports of parents saying we're going to ignore doctors, we're going to ignore science, uh, and uh, Jesus uh, is going to take care of our children, so we, we can act reckless medically. Uh, Jesus is going to take, uh, do, do they think that Jesus decided to kill over 600,000 people uh, with, with uh, the COVID uh, virus? It's, 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 I would say it's beyond anything. I've seen, except sadly, it's consistent with much of what I've seen over the past five years. Other than now, uh, in what Mika calls a death cult, we have parents who are willingly sending their kids uh, in, into schools uh, less safe than, uh, than medicine suggests they could be, or that, that their doctors, their own family doctors, 
would suggest they could. There's a, there's a certain sort of crystallized version of it that is a lot less complex than what critical race theory actually is. But critical race theory essentially argues that racism is baked into all the systems of American society and that any sort of neutral system is in fact a guise for racial power. And so the argument is made by <coughs> Derek Bell, for example, that Brown versus Board of Education, this is an argument he made in 1991, that Brown versus Board of Education was actually a way for the white community to leverage its own power. It wasn't an attempt to end segregation in public schools. Even things that are purportedly good in terms of race, so long as they uphold these broader systems, things like capitalism or things like the meritocracy, these things are actually just guises for power. And so what that boils down to in sort of practical terms is all disparity equals discrimination. If you can see any stat where black people are underperforming white people, this means the system was set up for the benefit of white people and that white people have a duty to tear down these systems in order to alleviate the racism that's implicit in those systems. When it comes to schools, what this tends to boil down to is kids who are white have experienced privilege because the system was built for white people and we have to change well, the standards. Right. I've personally I, talked I about many of the things that you just mentioned. People. I define critical, uh, critical race theory by citing the actual authors of critical race theory, and you seem to be a pretty good beneficiary of the meritocracy because you have merit, Malcolm. So if you're going to criticize the meritocracy yes. as an outgrowth of white supremacy, then you're going to have to tear down the system that you've succeeded in because you have merit or you know, do not have merit. You know, when my great-great-grandfather ran away from slavery to join the 111th U.S. Colored Troops and fight against the South, keeping human beings as slaves. He didn't think, you know what? In 150 years, my great-great-grandson's gonna have to sit on stage and argue with a guy who thinks all that's bullshit. All right? No controversy. No, 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 okay. The controversy that's but, made up is people saying that this is being discussed, but, but this it, is being taught in schools, that, and that kids should be kept that's, away that's, from that's it. That's not true. It's the not fifth, even Malcolm, a real controversy. Malcolm, if we agree that history should be taught, why are you defending critical race theory, which is not history? Did I not just say a moment ago that I think that term has been hijacked, and that's not okay, what we're so talking about? Okay, so let's say critical race. Defending it? I'm going to go right. back and repeat that I didn't say that. Okay. You, you, you are ah, literally defending a... critical race theory by redefining it as just teaching history, which is a cheap semantic trick, and you know it. Is this right. what you do on your show? Because it sucks. <laughs> I see. You know, it, it, Malcolm, I, I'm just I, saying. I, I, Malcolm, I appreciate that, but I'm I, sure I, I, will, an, I, will, I will comfort myself sure tonight by an, sleeping on my bed made of money. I'm sure we have an adult. Oh. I'm, sure we, I'm sure we have that. I'm sure we have another adult subject to talk about. I feel like I'm living in a bit of a parallel universe in the sense that right now, the House, the Senate, and the presidency of the United States are all controlled by the Democratic Party. It is the Democratic Party, large scale across the United States, currently engaged in mask mandates, vaccine mandates, and lockdowns. So for all the talk about Tucker Carlson, who, again, you mentioned, is not a governmental figure, or Donald Trump, who's not been in office since January last I checked, it seems that the great threat that people are experiencing right now is from the soft institutions, Right? The institutions, the Facebooks and the Twitters and the, and the corporate world, right? all those institutions on a soft level and on a governmental level, the people who are actually experiencing control top down from the government, the people at the top of the government right now are Democrats. Can I just touch on something Ben just said there? You know, by saying, oh, the Democrats run the House, the Senate and the presidency, that's like, that reminds me of the chief from the Penguins, right? He has that <laughs> secret power. He goes, there's nothing to see, boys. There's nothing to see. The last freaking four years saw the descent of the United States into almost sheer autocracy. Right. Malcolm, I've noticed when, when you talk about how the last four years we're on the verge of autocracy. When, mm -hmm. when did your last book come out? Two years ago. Who was president? Donald Trump. Were you thrown in jail? Was oh, there any threat to do was so? Was I thrown in jail? No, but you know, I was pulled off air from television for three weeks 
by express letter written from the Trump White House to MSNBC to pull critics off of air. And why did you know, so I wasn't the director of the CIA, but, but, so... But, but Trump, is off of, Trump is off of Facebook and Twitter altogether. Yeah, well, you know what? So I recall, maybe we should all we, let each other I speak. But let's talk about bare facts. I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy, Donald Trump, who literally tried to suborn... Um, you know, uh, who has probably suborned perjury and managed to mobilize 40,000 people, right, to lay siege to the Capitol, oh, where over a thousand or more entered the building, destroyed parts of the building, fought physically law enforcement there in order to stop American democracy. 40,000 people did not assault the Capitol. Okay, that's just factually inaccurate. There are maybe a thousand people that is not making light of the evil of those people who all will end up rotting in prison as they should. How many people came to that rally? Were all of those people assaulting the Capitol? Is that they your contention? They all marched now? on the Capitol and then the leading they edge all marched on the, the Capitol. It's just inaccurate, Malcolm. Yeah, it isn't. No. Yes. No. It is inaccurate, Malcolm. Max, Ben. Well, well, yes, okay. you're not mentioning them. Okay. All right. Okay. None okay. Of us let's saw let's what we just saw. say some of them but, milled around outside. I'll tell you why that's an important point. Because, mm. Malcolm, you have a terrible habit of conflating people who do actual violent activity with a broader rubric of everyone, for example, who voted for Trump, which was 75 million people. And that really is ugly. I mean, you've tweeted about me, for example, that I'm such a racist I shouldn't be allowed in Washington, D.C. That sounds rather authoritarian in an attitude to me. I've never called for you to be kicked off of MSNBC. I've never called for anybody not to buy your book. I've never called for anybody to censor you on Twitter. I'm talking in my book about the attitude that suggests that people who are outside the Overton window should meet with not only a sort of, a sort of social ostracization, but they should eat with, meet with real-world consequences that do affect their lives. Let me tell you something. Two years ago, I was invited to uh, Auschwitz for the Auschwitz Foundation, where they were holding a conference called... Are you lecture me on the Holocaust? No, no, no. Malcolm? I'm going really? to tell really? you what the conference was called. The Republican Party gets this sort of dictator immunity. That, I mean, if a Democrat kissed up to a dictator like that, Wait, I don't if? know. I mean, if a, Democrat, if a Democrat kissed up to a dictator. Barack Obama went and held hands with, with Fidel Castro's brother at a baseball game. If a Democrat kissed up to a dictator like that. Yeah, Barack Obama you're right. said that Castro he was going was to yes. provide flexibility. She's not going to answer that question because the Hyde Amendment's been what they've been going after for fucking ever. And they're just not going to even fucking register that they're going to bury it. In this budget, just like I said they would. Because that's how they work. Their whole principle is dark of night when you don't see it, dirty deals. They just slip things in and boom, there you go. You got yourself a goddamn fucking repeal of the Hyde Amendment because. You know, why not? They repealed everything else. Nothing they are fucking passing, nothing they are doing is based on what Americans want. They literally only go with what 18% of the country wants. 18%. That's it. So, let's uh, do a quick everything is racist. So this piece of shit, and this comes from Matt in Oregon, signs the equity that without proving they can read, write, or do math. Through a spokesman, 
The governor declined again Friday to comment on the law and why she supported suspending proficiency requirements. Brown's decision was not public until recently because her office did not hold a signing ceremony or issue a press release, and the fact that the governor signed the bill was not entered in the legislative database to July 29th. Deputy Communication Director Charles Boyle said it was emailed statement that suspending the reading and writing and math proficiency requirement while the state develops new graduation standards will benefit Black, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Indigenous, Asian, Pacific Islander, Tribal, and Stewards of Colors. So what's the difference between Latina, Latinx, Latina, Latina, Nobody knows. Atlanta. This was huge. I'm not going to go in depth because you probably saw it on Fox. They thought it would help the kids by segregating them. That's how racist we are. Equity is racism. Fairfax County. This this is all good shit here. I'm just going to read a lot of it and just move through because we, we cover these. But I want to make sure we know that this is not ended. School sent teachers a PowerPoint presentation that tells them how to implement CRT in the classroom. The presentation is meant for teachers only and explains how to implement a slew of left-wing political buzzwords. Another FCP News training teachers were required to read SPLC Center Ending Curriculum Violence. The author claims a curriculum can be violent even if that's not an educator intent. This is the same school district that spent 49600 in taxpayer dollars on anti-racism curriculum. So I'm going to hit this Twitter account. Let's see what we got here. Theoretical interpretation of framework that examines appearance of race, application example, policies, uh, it doesn't say the slew. Trauma. Curriculum violence is indeed detrimental, but it does not have to be deliberate or purposeful. The notion that a curriculum writer or teacher's intention matters misses the point. Intentionally, it's not a prerequisite for harmful teaching. Intentionally, it's also not a prerequisite for racism. As I define it in my work, curriculum violence occurs when educators or curriculum writers have constructed a set of lessons that damage or otherwise adversely affect students intellectually and emotionally by making them actually learn something. Well, that would be fucking horrible. What's wrong with you? Here's your slide. It's another one. This one comes from uh, told that CRT is not being in schools. Here's Praxis in the form of assignment from LPSC official in Loudoun County. Let's do this. What is critical race theory? A lens that examines the appearance of race and racism across dominant culture. CRT scholars attempt to understand how victims of systemic racism and blah, blah, blah. What elements of text can be perceived as being masculine? What does the work reveal about the operation socially, politically, psychologically homophobic? How does the text illustrate the problematics of sexuality and sexual identity as ways which human sexuality does not fall neatly into normalcy? What is queer theory? The study of the, what is eco-criticism, the study of relationship between literature and the physical environment, earth-centered, believe that the complex intersections between environment and human culture that is connected to the physical world affecting it and affected by it. The next shit. What uh, Question to ask. How does this text relate to the significance of race in contemporary American society? Where in what ways and do... To what ends does race appear in novel? What are the interrelations between character and different race and text? Historical criticism investigate the origin of ancient 
text in order to understand the world behind the text. It seeks to connect a work with the time period in which it was produced. Histori historicism assumes that every work is a product of historic movement that derives from it. <laughs> Objectives. How to view and annotate a text with specific literary lens. How to choose the independent reading novel. I am able to use Marxist lens to analyze a given text. I am able to choose a novel from independent reading unit. For, uh, what's Marxist criticism? Jesus fucking Christ. They, they outright just put it out, but they're not Marxist. Remember that. A feminist lens. Feminist criticism. As a class, we watched three-minute clip of Beauty and the Beast while watching Analyze a Clip using the feminist lens. Other things. Let me see. What Marxist characteristics can you find in the story of where are you going, where have you been? From a feminist lens, reading and focusing through a psychoanalytical lens, what are the Connie's core issues? What does a car typically symbolize to a teenager? How is Connie's reaction different from what you would expect of a typical victim of, of abduction? Jesus fucking Christ. Kendi X hits our next next little article because this shit's pissing me the fuck off. <clears throat> like slave owners, those against COVID restrictions want freedom to kill and exploit and terrorize. Of course he said that. Mm -hmm. American Express pushed CRT. American Express course launched a critical race theory training program that teaches employees capitalism is fundamentally racist and asks them to deconstruct their racial and sexual identities. According to Whistleblower document, Amex executives created an internal anti-racism initiative that subjects employees to an extensive training program based on the core tenets of critical race theory, systemic racism, white privilege, and intersectionality. First and outside for teachers employed to deconstruct their race, sexual orientation, body type, religion, the whole list, onto an official company worksheet. This is the picture. They then instruct employees to change their behavior in the office based on their relative position on race and sexual hierarchy. You're a loser. A big time loser. Another handout, the instruction for why employees are more explicit. Identify the privilege or advantage you have. Don't speak over black and African-American community. It's not about your intent. It's about the impact. White employees are told not to utter common phrases, I don't see color. We are all human beings. Everyone can succeed in the society if they work hard, or they will be considered microaggressions. Next, Amex invited Dr. Khalid Muhammad, great-grandson of Na Nation of Islam founder Elijah Muhammad, to give a speech. But he's not racist. Okay. Biden's infrastructure bill full of anti-white racism. And then my best one of the day. This, this is fucking perfect. It sums up everything I say on this show. Harvard promotes app that compares BLM to a religious awakening. Liberate is a media app that contains a talk on Dharma, Buddha, and Black Lives Matter. Merritt College, University of Rochester, and Osborne University also promote the app because it is a religion. I've been saying it since day one. It's a religion. 
to a few other articles, and we'll close this out with a humorous article. Yanker now. The franchises, not the corporate, want her off. Rappahone. Because everybody's saying the same thing. I'm not going to go there. Fuck that bitch. DC Comics. Boy wonders a bisexual. That's going to sell some stuff. Abigail Schreier. Comrades at ABA book issued most impressive statement. Foolish employee put image of Candace Owens' filthy book instead of good books sent to re-education camp. DII officer to be hired after Schreier affair. So booksellers only receive DEI approved books. Villagers happy now. Must read most beautiful statement here. The American Bookseller Association published an apology for accidentally putting a Candace Owens book on the bestseller list. And it's still not done. That's why I covered it. We, we just fucking talked about it like three podcasts ago. It's not done. And this is awesome. The list would be so much longer if people knew about it. My mom's been censored. My mom. My freaking mom. Because they don't stop. They just don't. So, I'm going to do a lighter fare. I love this article. It's fucking, or this segment, because this, this was the whole media, but this influencer, Randy Rainbow, sums up how bad our media is. Pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. All you had to do is look at other countries. Stranded in my bedroom, no one to love. <gasps> then there he is. Uh, let's give you an update as to where we are today. My favorite guy. He's the earth and heaven to your giant. Keep it hidden. Honey, we can see right through you. Skirt as heck of COVID 19. But you bring hope when I can't cope. I guess I'm saying I, 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 I love you so. pandemic is scaring me real bad but watching your daily press briefings sure does calm me down 
The way you manage to lead and inform without terrifying the living shit out of me or straying from the facts, and still find time to nurture my delicate spirit with adorable slideshows and relatable anecdotes about meatballs. You're wise, level-headed, eloquent, and sexy at a time when the country needs it most. It sure is a refreshing change from that mother Fonji. Oh, I won't get into specifics. You know I don't like to be political. I guess what I'm trying to say, Andrew, is that you're my number one Cuomo now. And whatever you decide to be once this whole thing blows over, whether it's governor of New York or president of the United States or ABC's next bachelor, I'm with you now, Andy, only you. Even as I continue to light a candle, get naked, and pray every night for the speedy recovery of your brother, my first love, Chris with his tight, wet t-shirts and his sweaty Instagram workout videos and his big, muscular... You know, actually, I'm still really into Chris, too. Oh, Andy, baby, you're so strong and rational. From now on, I identify as That was the entire media complex since day one. They had to have a foil for Trump. So what was the foil? Cuomo. Normals like me were going, they got their ground zero for COVID. They told everybody to go to Chinatown. They didn't want to stop transportation into the country or travel. They went with everything. They loved him some Cuomo because, hey, he's a good guy. Who cares if they have the most deaths, most cases, most everything? They still have the most cases. And they play it off with proportionality and all that bullshit. But that's how they acted. And the guy was a dirtball. Everybody knew he was a dirtball. And now where are we at? Oh, they want him to come back. You heard Chuck Todd. He'll be coming back. He'll run for something. But like that beautiful African-American grandma said to me today with their young daughter next to her and the other Latinx, every time they need to do something, they got to bring COVID back. That post now from a hospital, it's the commissary. Everybody's got to wear a mask. And what they don't realize, they are causing vaccine hesitancy. They are the ones that are making people not want to get it. Because you're putting out faulty data. You're getting caught lying about Florida numbers. You're blaming Republicans, but yet you're using TikTok influencers to get people the vaccine. Because you know 70% of BIPOC ain't getting it. <laughs> you know this. Oh, I fucked up my shit. You know this. They know it. But as usual, everything's a fucking lie. Cuomo's awesome. DeSantis is killing people. 
But they forget we remember you saying he's a piece of shit for only vaccinating white grandmas. It's been from day one. Cuomo good, DeSantis bad. So the week that Cuomo's getting the boot, oh, we're going into DeSantis overdrive. He's killing kids. He's killing, he's killing everything. He's killing pandas. When it's all a lie. The Delta variant, if you're vaccinated, it's just going to make you sick. You're not going to die because from day one, COVID death rate's under 2%. Using your numbers, which are all inflated. If you get hit by lightning, test positive, you died of COVID. We all know it. So it's politics. The only thing, Chuck Todd says it, that Biden had going for him was COVID. COVID was his saving grace. And now he's not even good at that. I mean, I go back to a picture of him. And literally say, if he was Trump, what would we be saying? He looks horrible. But they even say that about DeSantis. Oh, he's got to read off a script. Biden doesn't even, he, he, he can't do anything without a teleprompter. The dude's fucked up. But he don't wear a mask. They don't wear masks. This is all about sophisticated vaccinated. That statement, own it, New York Times. You believe it. It's just like the Never Trumpers, Dennis in New York, who won't talk to me anymore. You all think you're better than everybody else. You're more intelligent because you hated Trump. And anybody who can't hate Trump, and the fervor you do, is a malcontent, just a defective. It was never about Trump. None of this has ever been about Trump. Trump's a piece of shit. He's unprofessional. He could have got so much done, but he was just a dick. He spent all day jerking off on Twitter. But Trump was less dangerous than the left. Because the left, they are the fascists. They project all they might. But they're the fascists. They want to rule you, and they don't want to abide by the rules they put out. That's their gambit. I don't give a fuck what you say. And they're going to push through $3.5 million or more drastically huge programs to forever alter this country and Green New Deal our grandkids into the poorhouse. And they're going to say it's covid It's white supremacy. It's January 6th, the worst day since the Big Bang. And a lot of Americans are going to believe it. But it's all a lie. Everything is a lie, and damn them. Because someday we're going to get a real virus. And that virus is going to be like Ebola. And when you get it, you have a 99.5% of dropping fucking dead. And it's just going to be like that fucking movie with Matt Damon and that blonde chick. And there's going to be bodies everywhere, except for those that are immune. Because they've now lied for too long, manufactured, and used a virus for politics to the point that black grandmas, their demographic, a person who really was prejudiced against, 
not microaggressed or systemically, like called the N-word, not dinger. They don't believe your bullshit. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please share this with your family and friends. And go to FopPodcast.com. You can find this video, last video, and all videos, the links to Rumble and SoundCloud. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. If you're in the South right now, stay indoors. Check your pets. Get them water. Bring them inside. My Huskies hate me because I'll put them in cages because it's dangerously hot outside. So be safe. Hydrate or die. Do it. It's some serious, dangerous heat. We're going to shoot for another show on Monday, the 16th of August, year of our Lord, 2021. I'm hoping I can get it in, and then we'll be dark for a while. Probably wait till the next week. Um, as stated, I should actually work, like really work, 17th or 18th. So we'll find out um, when we're going to go live, and I'll be working some 15-hour days. But that's all right. We'll get it built, built out, and I'll still start retail managing. It'll be fun. Have a constant paycheck and shit. It's going to be good time. So thank you all for listening. Remember, during the dark times of when, go go back in the back, the back category. Uh, we have loaded uh, 564 tracks. So there's plenty of audio going back to 2016. If you think I'm crazy now, I'm more reserved than I used to be. Tune back in Monday, folks. Have a good weekend. Talk to you then.